Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. For a rainy kind of dark Wednesday morning, Kevin, it's one of those days where you're like, man, there's a decent amount going on here, right? I mean, there's always kind of a a Beatlemania feel whenever there's always an NBA team. I've always said from my childhood, first it was probably the Showtime Lakers or Birds Celtics, then into the Jordan era of the Bulls, then into probably the next one would have been LeBron's Heat teams, and now obviously Golden State. Like when they're in town, there's a buzz kind of about it. Purdue's got a new football coach. You know, the, you've got Indiana taking on Kansas this weekend, which is big, and we start to gear up towards that a week out from Christmas. And Purdue, Purdue ranked number on, one. Yeah, Purdue ranked number one, taking on Davidson. Um, there's a ton going on. Yeah, I would throw in Kobe's Lakers late in his career, yeah, that's especially fair. when he went on that retirement tour. That's, that's that was fair. quite the scene that night inside of then Banker's Life Fieldhouse. But yeah, it is. You know, this is finals week for a ton of colleges, so you don't have college basketball really within the week. Like you said, IU and Kansas coming up on Saturday, Purdue and Davidson over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. We'll actually have Davidson's head coach, Matt McKillop, join us a little bit later today. Uh, but I guess we will warn everyone on the drive-in, and I'll put on my Karen Query hat, this is wet leave morning, right? <laughs> That's right. Are there still leaves out? I think there are still some stragglers. Out there, so uh, it was raining on my commute in, and it sounded like, based off waking up at 3 a.m. with Max last night, it was raining last night, and walking to the car this morning looked like a good amount of rain we got, so just, you know, I know your mother would appreciate that, so absolutely, we need to make sure we're a little cautious on this commute in. Good Wednesday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dyton. Jake, as much as you're willing to share, it sounded like you felt Pretty confident in the old algebra final yesterday. You know... Don't want to reveal too much, but... You know, we're still awaiting official results for the semester. And I appreciate several people reached out to me uh, to wish me luck on the final. Algebra has been my white whale my entire life. I have, as I've mentioned, and I've made a lot of light of it, but I, during the course of my first run through college, I dropped it six different times because I knew there was no way I was going to get the required 70%. That sounds like um, a math problem in itself. <laughs> for sure. So I did have a tutor that and that worked with me diligently. Um, and I think the thing that I found most fascinating, Kevin, was I still can't read the problems and understand what they're asking me, but she would articulate and she would read them to me and say, here's what they're asking you. Instead of me reading the problem, like, well, I don't understand what this means. She would say, okay, what they're asking you is what number goes here that would make this happen. And then I could look at it and go, oh, okay. And on a lot of the problems yesterday, I would do it in my head. And she's like, well, wait a minute. You got to show your work. But at any rate, it's been a, a it's been an arduous journey to learn how my brain works in processing a lot of that stuff. And she was very patient with me. Um, but I took the final initially it listed it as like an 84 or something like that and then 
when she went through and scoured through the way that I did everything, the final tally for my final was a 94 yesterday. Now, what that means in terms of me getting the required 70% to pass the class, there were, I mean, there were three assignments a week for the last 16 weeks that all has to be tallied up, and that shall be seen. But that's awesome. Um, you know, it's like they said in, in Back to the Future. You put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Sometimes you need a little help. Okay. So, you know, but, but I was probably working about eight to ten hours a week on it by the time it was all said and done. So. Kudos to you for still being um, diligent I'm with that. I'm not sure and... why I did it, but, <laughs> but but the white whale at least has been... Hey, you could have thrown up the white flag, away. and That's you did true. not do that. So That's true. Um, that is a great accomplishment, Thank so you. happy for you. On that front, uh, as you said, we've got a new head football coach in West Lafayette. His name is Ryan Walters. He's 36 years old. <clears throat> he is the fourth youngest head coach in college football right now at the age of 36. Um, and I guess he already won yesterday by doing the old viral hand-out-the-scholarship video. Devin Mockaby, well-deserved Purdue running back, getting that scholarship. So that made the rounds on social media yesterday. What was yesterday. the most common reaction from people when they saw that? Most people were like, wait a minute, he wasn't on scholarship? Well, that's what Walter said to him. Walters was like, yeah, the first thing I thought when we played you last year, because I think Mockaby had over 100 yards against Illinois, was like, wait. Which was a darn good defense. Oh, incredible defense. What the hell's going on over there in West Lafayette that you're not on scholarship? Uh, so, yes, he has put Devin Mockaby on scholarship. Um, you look at the defensive resume of Walters, Jake, and it is eye-popping. I mean, it is beyond impressive what he did at Illinois in just two seasons. Um, they were ranked, I think when he took over, he was at Missouri as defensive coordinator, left there and joined Brett Bielema's staff at Illinois. They were 97th in scoring and 114th in total yards allowed. Both of those are obviously horrific numbers. They jumped in one season. They jumped from 97th of scoring to 29th. They jumped from 114 in yards allowed to 49. And then in his second year this past season, those numbers jumped to first in college football and scoring defense and second in total yards allowed. So that's the first thing I think that you notice with his resume. It's that defensively, it's a total shift from how Purdue is typically operated at the head coaching position. The question that I have, and it's a question, you know, I think for just modern football in general, and honestly, I think it's a question that the guy in Bloomington is still trying to answer. If you get a revolving door going offensively, Jake, it can be very difficult to sustain yes. success. And that is my biggest question mark with Ryan Walters. What do you do offensively? And when you have some success offensively, how do you maintain that? Because the trend is colleges want to nab that young offensive coordinator. Look at IU with Tom Allen. Kalen, uh, Kellen DeBoer a few years ago, great success as an offensive coordinator with Tom Allen as a head coach. He moves to Fresno State. He's now at Washington with Michael Penix. They're having great success. And Indiana's offense has not sniffed what it was a few years ago because they've had, I want to say it's four offensive coordinators in six years. So maybe it's a little low-hanging fruit by me, Jake, to immediately go to Indiana with that. But that is just the one concern I have is offensively, how can you s sustain it when your head coach is more of the defensive side of the ball? Was he a candidate for Colorado's job 
and I realize, I mean, I, I get why they hired Deion Sanders, but w- was his name mentioned at all for Colorado? And you bring that up because he played at Colorado. Correct. And, um, he, and that's where he began his coaching career. So Scott Ritchie's going to join us coming up in the 9 o'clock hour who covers uh, Fighting Illini Athletics. Um, and, and that's a question I want to ask him. If I'm not mistaken, I believe his name was thrown around. I, I don't know if he... I think I saw one report yesterday where he maybe pulled his name out of that, um, which would be interesting, considering it's his alma mater, and this is really the first time he's been a serious head coaching candidate. Uh, but that is something that I'm curious about. His name, I do feel like, was kind of a a hot name. I don't know if he was you know one or two on Mike Pavinsky's list um, to pursue. I would say one thing I do like about him is when you hear his defensive style, you hear like, uber-aggressive, and tons of variety. So if like if that's your philosophical approach, you would tend to think as a head coach, you would want that to kind of be staples of what you want your offense to be. And I think that is an encouraging element. Again, he doesn't obviously have the offensive background, but I like that better than... And I, I remember saying this to Mark when the Bears hired Matt Eberflus. My concern with that was... Again, if Justin Fields has success, that offense coordinator might not be there for long stretches, and Eberflus just isn't some aggressive-minded defensive head coach. It's, we do what we do, and we do it better than anybody else. I, I, I don't love that approach. I like the Walters approach where it's, we'll be very multiple, we'll be very versatile, week to week, you don't know what we're going to throw at you. If I was to critique the Purdue hire... I. And again, there are a lot of positives to it. If I were to point out any areas where I'm hesitant, it it would be the following. I I like that they went with kind of a young, up-and-coming, eager, hungry guy. Um, Do you worry that's a stepping stone, though? I'm not as worried about that as I am the following, and that is that I think that Jeff Brom left Purdue in a really good situation. And so for that reason... I feel like I would have if it were up to me. And I like Mike Babinski a great deal, actually. And I got a lot of respect for him. And I think he's been really good. But if it were up to me, which is why I'm on the radio, not an athletic director, perhaps, I would have probably preferred a coach that there was going to be no like CEO leadership learning on the job because the pieces are in place. I would have rather a guy... Like, I would have rather just been able to seamlessly hand the wheel over to somebody while we're doing 50 miles an hour than somebody who's got a, that's still learning how to drive a stick. Like, yeah. there are areas of being a head coach that, I, that, in terms of delegation and navigation of things, that, that anybody has to learn. And I, I would have preferred somebody that doesn't have to learn those things on the job. Yeah, it's funny you said, Jake. I felt like I heard. A side of Purdue fans going there, and then I heard the side of Purdue fans that are like, "I don't want a retread head coach that might not might not be as open minded with NIL as you need to be." Whereas the thirty six year old first time head coach yeah. might be more open minded to it, and that's probably a valid point because that's I mean it's where we are, right? And you can kind of go glass half full on, on either side of that. Um, I do think one thing that you got to like if you're a Purdue fan is, you know, Illinois is a very similar recruiting landscape to what Purdue is in the sense of it's not like he came in there and had five stars all, all over his defense and just needed to coach him up a little bit. He had to develop. Um, they've had a heavy 
footprint it looks like in the state of Florida from a, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, and talking to some people yesterday, sounds like a pretty mild-mannered guy. You're not like super rah-rah. And I, I honestly think you saw that in the Maccabee video um, when he handed out that scholarship yesterday. You know, one thing I kind of forgot about this Purdue team at times last year, they were so undisciplined, particularly late in games with penalties. So I think that is something that, you know, Walters uh, needs to instill. It's a five-year contract for him. Introductory presser at noon today. Mark, any word on if we'll get him on this week? As you're, sure sorry, your yeah, mid, you. mid-serial. No, uh, Should have looked up and saw your chipmunk cheeks. Out. We'll see if the bat signal answers. Mid chew. What what's for breakfast this morning, Mark? You haven't done Cereal this in bar. a while. You look like he had some honey grams what in the left to, cheek. Honey grams. Are you lactose intolerant? What happened? No. You used to bring bowls of cereal in here. I and used like to pour inject milk? milk into me like by IV. I drink milk all the time. Well, wh- you haven't done so in a while. I'm a big milk guy. It's a lot of stuff to bring. <laughs> it's a lot okay. of things. It's a process. Is that the cereal bar that I generously gave you like two weeks ago that you never ate? No. <laughs> Because I have 900 of those same exact Nutri-Grain I, bars. You did the same I went thing. to Costco as well. And I'm like, that's a hell of a deal. And yeah. then I, they've just been sitting there. I do have, I have enough cereal bars to feed like, yeah, half of Brazil. That's correct. So here you go. Come by the house, take cereal bars with yes, you. Please. Like, pass, pass that out to the Argentina folk like, yesterday. After it's like zucchini th- to me. How about Messi yesterday? After their 3-0 three, three win. Trade nil? Win and... The World Cup semifinal over Croatia. I believe Nil Trey. Oh, Nil Trey. That's how we go with it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a couple goals for Messi. Today it'll be France and Morocco. This is like favorite versus George Mason VCU in the Final Four. That's what today is with France and Morocco, the other semifinal. What's the native language of Morocco? Don't they speak French there? It's I a realize great it's an African nation, but it's a northern it's African on nation. on the Medi- Mediterranean, correct? Yes, but I believe... I don't know why I'm thinking that it is a nation of French influence. I could be completely wrong in that. Um, Arabic, apparently, is predominant. I, here we go. Uh, 33% French. I, I knew there was some... But predominantly Arabic. For all of our Pacers folk out there, um, it's probably a little bit more of... Are you a parent of a Steph Curry fan tonight inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse? Jake, I tried to throw some caution yesterday of pay attention to this game tonight. Warriors, Bucks. What you want is a blowout. What did you get last night? You got the Warriors getting blown out. Steph Curry not one minute in the fourth quarter. Don't believe Draymond Green played in the fourth quarter. 27 minutes for Curry. 23 for Draymond. Uh, is that good news about them playing tonight on the back-to-back? I think they'll play, don't you? Load management. So I've looked at those three. Basically, this is how they've operated the big three this year. Clay Thompson has sat out all the back-to-backs coming off the ACL. So if you follow that pattern... Clay Thompson, I would consider him pretty iffy for tonight. He played 27 minutes last night. Draymond has sat out about half of them, and Steph has gone kind of every other. Um, he's due to sit out this one. But again, if you look at last night's result, I guess it depends how Steve Kerr approached these two games. Did he tell these guys on Monday, 
hey, no matter what, you're going to play Tuesday but not Wednesday? Or did he say, let's see how Tuesday night goes, right. and then we'll figure out Wednesday? Because, again, they got – I mean, they didn't play great last night. Um, they barely played in the fourth quarter. I think Clay was the only one of the big three. So I am probably a little bit more encouraged that Steph Curry might play tonight than I would have been this time tomorrow uh, yesterday. There are a lot of, uh, did you say it, Kevin? I believe the way you said it was a lot of the Carmel Pups. This is Carmel Pups night inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They should just put 10 Pups in the Indy car to rev it up for tonight. They still Carmel do- Pups, 8-1 and one this year, you know, and they beat Center Grove's Trojans B team. And yeah, yeah, that, that's the Carmel Pups rev up night. You have the pup jacket, you take it off, I wonder and you got when the we'll Steph know. Curry Usually it's jersey. probably around, what, 5, 30, 6 o'clock when you get the, kind of the word officially of whether or not guys play? Because typically teams don't do shoot-arounds off of back-to-back. So I don't think you'll get the morning shoot-around for Golden State. We probably could just go over to the local hotel here that they're staying at and try to see if Steve Kerr's in the lobby getting some coffee this morning. You want me to go over there? Mark, you want to head over? Get yourself sure. another cereal right. bar? Yeah. Really good boots one. on the ground from mm-hmm. a reporting standpoint. When I was a kid, back in the in the day... A lot of autograph seekers let me, out there. There was nothing more fun. The two things when I was a kid, and this is why there was a certain magic to win a Steph Curry or LeBron, Giannis maybe, is in the building. And that is... It does take me back to when I was a kid and the old third floor east side ramp of Market Square Arena where the bus would be and you'd wait out there by the bus for when the teams would come out of the locker room and they, they walked right out right onto the bus onto the loading ramp and if you sat there off in the wing sometimes a player would see you and throw shoes or, or come over and sign autographs and if that didn't work if they stayed overnight you would, and back then most teams did because they flew commercial uh, you'd go to the Hyatt. In the downtown Hyatt with the glass elevators, and man, there was nothing better than like sitting there and looking on the glass elevator, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's Gerald Wilkins. And, I mean, I would sit there. I was that kid. I still have uh, I still have a right Nike shoe that was signed by Gerald Wilkins because my buddy got the left. We split it. He was like, here, you guys can split my shoes. <laughs> and he signed them both. I love that. That was great. It was uh, a lot of fun. Man. This from Wheezy. Pacers are a one and a half point underdog. That indicates Vegas saying Steph and Clay will not play. Say that again. Pacers are just a one and a half point underdog. Um, he believes that that indicates that Steph and Clay will not play. Boy, there'd be a lot of disappointed Carmel pups. A lot of disappointed pups in the building tonight. And, you know, this is the night where if you're working Pacers, uh, Security, or you're you know part of the team that kind of opens up the field house. I mean, you get a wave of people coming in there right when the gates open because everyone wants to watch Steph warm up. I mean, it is kind of cool, right? When he starts, oh, it's unbelievable to watch. So, Pacers Warriors tonight at seven. If we see anything on that front, we'll certainly keep you posted. Chris Duarte's got a two game stint with the Mad Ants coming up this week. I believe the first game is tonight. So, Duarte. A little bit closer to playing. If you missed it, Rick Carlisle was on our show late yesterday. We'll play some of that audio um, here in a little bit from Carlisle. I did like a line he mentioned yesterday about, you know, we, we need to add talent as we move along. I think the record and the, and, and the performance lately, Jake, has created a little bit of this. But it's important, I think, to remember that you got off to a great, great start. 
But at the end of the day, this is still a big-picture approach to this season. You can't fall into the trap of, hey, could we sneak into the play-in game? No, you need to realize that when the trade deadline comes around, you look at anything and everything for both Miles Turner and Buddy Heald, um, particularly with Turner, considering the contract situation, and you realize that you're still multiple pieces away from being a true contender in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I, I think... It's been a fun start, but there's still a lot of questions. That's a fair way of saying it. I, and your, your magic number necessary is what? 30, and I'm starting to get a little nervous. Are you really? Saturday was a disappointing one for me. Okay. The Nets missing their top eight, and you can't win that one? The Pacers are 14 and 14, right? Correct. Okay. So that's 28 games. They play 82 total, right? So that's 54 remaining games, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. So the 54 remaining games, you need them to win 16 of them? Right. Come on. You need them to go 16 and 28. All they've got to do is go 16 and 28 down the stretch? No, 16 and 38. And my thinking, Jake, was they would make some moves at the deadline so they would be a far worse team post-deadline than they are early in the year. So I need a buffer. And the schedule is daunting coming up. I need rest tonight. I'm sorry. Caramel Pups, I apologize to the Pups out there. I need Steph on the bench. Can you see the concern? Yeah. I'm starting to sweat a little. I can tell. Is it because of the money that you would lose or because of the money you would lose out on? Out on. I mean, it literally comes down to. Like you haven't told the wife yet. Is what Max you know, in the balance? Her. Is Max going to be Ivy League or is he going to be online? <laughs> okay. I appreciate you guys just cackling, thinking this is a funny manner. The idea that he would go to like University of Phoenix over Yale is kind of that's that that's been on the table. That's a debate. Now I got a little excited earlier in the year. I told Maddie probably a mistake. Should have waited till, you know, Put 20 wins, on you, did she? 21 <laughs> wins. How about Golden State being 14 and 14? The battle of 14 and 14 teams tonight. Doesn't it seem like Golden State, though, is one of those teams, not unlike a lot of the LeBron teams earlier in his career, I'm not speaking necessarily for now, but where you kind of feel like it, even if this isn't the case, that they have the ability to flip the switch. Like, okay, no, here sure. they go, you know. But still, I mean, that's a surprising start. For them, so there's a lot of surprising starts in the NBA. I mean, you know, the Pelicans. I did. Did anybody think the Pelicans would be right up towards the top of the West? Miami probably falls in the boat. Of, I thought Detroit would be better than they are. So, Kate Cunningham's done for the year. Yes. <clears throat> Boy, that's brutal. Surgery, right? I see Shin. Is that good for Jay Nivey or no? I think it's probably good, right? Because it's baptism by fire. Like, you got to go. Yeah. You, you, you know, you, we're going to put you in. You got to go. Brian goes, I have a rule for my son. We go to those types of games where somebody like Steph Curry's playing. He's not allowed to wear any apparel of the opposing team. I kind of like that. Okay. We might implement that as a parent one day. <laughs> See how successful I am. But. If you didn't, if you had no say, I have always felt, Kevin, I've always felt with sports that for the most part, People, as an adult, their favorite teams usually are based on any of the four following things. The first and foremost, of course, being where they were raised, if there's a home team. But if your favorite team is not the hometown team, I think more often than not, it's one of three things. It's either the first team you played for in Little League, regardless of the sport, the team 
when you when you were first introduced to the sport whose color scheme you liked when you were a kid so you rooted for them or the team that your dad or person of influence rooted for when you were a kid sometimes actually the rival of the team that your dad or someone of influence rooted for because that made it fun to be able to root against that team yeah i think that's right but like i my dad really liked larry bird when i was growing up and so i was i wouldn't say i was a lakers fan but i rooted for the lakers over the celtics just to kind of make it fun of the the you know the the good-natured ribbing back and forth um Obviously, I was an IU fan because my dad was an IU fan. I grew up in Indiana. And what I knew when I was a kid was when I saw people wearing the shirt that said Indiana, and I'm like, well, I live there. That's where I'm from. So, I, you know, so I was an Indiana fan, right? But, um, and as I mentioned, football wise, the two teams that were on television the most regularly when I began watching the NFL were the Cowboys and the Steelers. And I liked the color scheme of the Steelers. And my dad worked in the steel business. So that's what I picked. And there you go. So there are, so in terms of your son not wearing the colors of the team when they go to the game itself, I don't know, man. If he's a fan of the team, let him do it. That's why I look at it. But that's a soft mindset by you. <laughs> we need to create local market fans. <clears throat> Getting choked up thinking about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <clears throat> yeah, on the color scheme front, my nephew, he's big into the logos. Uncle Bowen, what's your favorite NFL logo? That's his big thing. And, and didn't you tell me that he had picked the? Was it the Bucks? Uh, I think he was a big Chiefs fan as well. Okay. Yeah, he slots the helmets right. each week, does the matchups. He gets very into it. Well, the Seahawks logo is the best one. He does like the Seahawks yeah, logo. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he has some. You know, he lined them up after Week One. Who was one and zero, and who was zero and one, and go over to his house, and he's got the Colts and Texans on top of each other <laughs> for their nice tie. <laughs> I'm like this sums up the Colts season right now. Here. What about oh, the, this is awkward. <laughs> very. What, what about the Browns? What does he think of the Browns? Is uh, he very confused by that? Yeah, I don't think he's a huge fan. You know, <laughs> the little elf. Kind of a poopy color scheme there, isn't it? <laughs> what have you? They're they're orange. Have you, well, have you checked what's going on with his diet? I mean, yes, have, have, physician. Have you have you checked the flu season, Jake? I mean, right now you never I mean, know what what's happening. What are they feeding the kid over there? Just That's wait till you here. Yeah, just wait till you get what Mark and I had been dealing with. Uh, on the Colts front, we'll get to this a little bit later. Matt Ryan playing in 2023. He had some comments on that. A little bit of a different tone, I would say, than Matt Ryan's comments okay. back in March on that front and we're almost forgetting like does Jeff Saturday want to coach it's a question threw at him yesterday we'll give you that answer as well and the Colts lose another member of their offensive coaching staff they're now down three coaches on that side of the ball we'll explain more coming up a little bit later again a rainy start to this Wednesday here in Indianapolis Kevin Bowen Jake Quarry Mark Dyke the Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jake, tonight over in Gamebridge Fieldhouse, it's Pacers and Warriors. They'll wrap up a four-game homestand here. Both teams, 14-14 and 14 on the year. Again, we are on Warriors watch in terms of who will they play coming off the back-to-back. They got smoke last night in Milwaukee, so their big three really didn't play much, if at all, in the fourth quarter. That'd be Steph Curry, 27 total minutes, Clay Thompson, 27, Draymond Green, 23. If I had to rank it, Jake, I'd probably rank it in the order of least likely to most likely to play would probably be 
Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's fair. Giannis, by the way, 30-12 and 12 last night for the Bucks, 128-111 over the Warriors. Other winners in the association, it was Philly over Sacramento, 123-103. to 103. Joel Embiid with 31. It was Houston over Phoenix, 111-97. Utah upsetting the New Orleans Pelicans and Boston, 122-118. Jason Tatum with 44 for the Celtics. Again, we had Rick Carlisle on the show late yesterday. Here was the Pacers head coach on the matchup with Golden State. Well, they're as difficult as any team you're going to face, you know, really simply because of their shooting ability, um, the fact that they pass and move so well. And Steve has really developed um, a random style of playing that has a level of unpredictability, even though you know that, you know, Steph and Clay and, you know, now Poole and Wiggins are going to touch it a lot. Um, you know, they, they just they have a style that doesn't involve a lot of play calling. So you have to really prepare conceptually for these guys. I like conceptually as a word to be used for anything. It just sounds really intelligent. I think you Wig- know what I mean? Wiggins has been a little banged up. Uh, Wiggins is out, I believe. Correct? He's out. Yeah, well, he's been listed. He's been on, yeah. I don't know if he's on IR, but he's had, I don't know if it's a calf issue. Poole played 32 minutes last night. He was their biggest man. Been a good guy. player too. Yeah, very, very good for them. Uh, yesterday, World Cup, you saw Argentina move into the final. They beat Croatia. Nil Trey is what Jake wants to go with. It just sounds awful. Sure. Lionel Messi outstanding in that one, and they will now face the winner of France and Morocco today. That's a two o'clock kick from the pitch. I'd like to see Morocco win that game. First African nation as a semifinalist. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not a genius, but I think that means they would be the first African nation in the finals. Well, yeah. <laughs> Good to see that see. Yeah, great, you got the two plus two equals four on your algebra <laughs> final yesterday. All, My favorite part of sh- that was I'm not a genius, as if well, that was ever called into question. It was good to clarify that from the start. I got news for you. This IQ here, I mean, we're talking, what, 160, 170, somewhere in there? Yeah. Don't, don't you like the fact I'd that like I, th- I think the maximum somebody I'd, can get is yeah. like a 145. Yeah, that guy's got an IQ of 180, really? Okay. It's good to I'd see like the, to the humility meters right up there with the IQ like meter. IQ on the back of a Raisin brand box. Yeah, I got a 190. Okay. Purdue's got a new head football coach. His name is Ryan Walters, 36 years old, the fourth youngest head coach in FBS currently. Introduced today. At noon, it is a five-year contract for him. Jake, anything stand out to you in particular on the old Walters resume? You know, the one thing that does jump out at me is the fact that he has coached along the way at some pretty big-time programs. I mean, he's been, even if it's peripherally, you know, not just Illinois, but Missouri, Oklahoma, Arizona, played at Colorado. So he's been around some big-time schools. He was, you knew who his babysitter was when he was little? Did I see Eric Biennemi? That is correct. Um, Eric Bieniemy, but um, young guy. I, I mean, admittedly, like when he got off the plane, I'm like, wow. I mean, they went they went young for certain. I personally would have liked to have seen them go with a guy who was coming off of a, a level of being a head coach, but uh, I do kind of trust Mike Babinski. I think he's been really good as an AD and. Uh, I'm very curious to see what happens. Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to be intrigued if you're a Purdue fan. Again, the curious one for me is just how can you maintain offensive success? And it's a good problem to have if your offense shows a level 
early on in Walter's tenure to where, you know, they want to pursue a new or that offensive coach, you know, is being courted by some teams to be a head coach elsewhere. But that's been a struggle in Bloomington for Tom Allen. That's something that Ryan Walters will have to secure, considering that has been Purdue's calling card. Even when the wins maybe have, hasn't been at the level that you would like, they've been an entertaining product. I think that's important for your fan base. One NFL note from yesterday, Kyler Murray confirmed torn ACL. I think that impacts the Colts. And what does Arizona do this offseason on the quarterback front? Do you now throw them into the mix as a team needing a quarterback, considering right now they are one spot ahead of the Colts in the draft order. Speaking of the Colts, Matt Ryan playing in 2023. Jeff Saturday, does he want to coach next year? We'll hear from both of them on that. Coming up next here, Kevin McQuarrie. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jacob, my uh, history covering the Colts, I don't recall this happening very often, if at all. But yesterday, Jeff Saturday confirmed that a member of their coaching staff, Clayton Adams, coached the tight end group, has left the organization to go take the offensive line coaching position for the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, Adams has some ties to the Bay Area. I think Sacramento is where he's from. So... You know, makes sense from a family standpoint. But I think bigger picture, it's just a reminder of how everyone on that coaching staff probably feels right now. Got to go for the sure thing. There's no guarantee I'm here next year. Yep. And if it's a college job, if it's a different type of pay, um, that doesn't matter. I've got to go somewhere where I know I'm guaranteed to get a spot. And that's what Clayton Adams did yesterday in going to Stanford. So no Frank Reich, no Marcus Brady, no Clayton Adams. Jeff said yesterday that Kevin Mawai, the assistant O-line coach, will now help with more of the blocking side of the tight end group. Reggie Wayne, obviously the wideout coach, will be a little bit more with the receiving part of the tight end position. But again, it's just another reminder of there is so much uncertainty to what's going to happen on January 9th, that first Monday after your final game with Houston on... What happens? And if you're a coach, even if Jeff Saturday is retained, there's no guarantee any of these assistants will be around. You got to think Jeff Saturday has a list of guys that he wants. Does it feel to you at all like. I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying, does it feel this way? Does it feel at all, somewhat inevitably and understandably, but just like it's kind of dysfunctional? And there's just a lot of people like. Yeah, kind of every man for themselves type deal. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and Jake, I'd probably say the same thing for any organization that is f- facing questions at again the, those pillar positions within your franchise. But even more so when you've made such an interesting interim move, and I don't know, does the the, the coaching staff in Carolina feel the same uncertainty, or the fact that Steve Wilkes and the Panthers have seemingly steadied the ship big time and could make the playoffs? Does that interim staff feel a little bit different than the Colts staff? I would think they do. Um, And I guess that's kind of the root of the Saturday question of, 
You know, Jim Irsay was very adamant, Jake, that the Colts were not tanking upon hiring Jeff Saturday. I believe he said something to the effect of, we're in this thing. 9-7-1 and one gets us in the dance. So given the fact that he said that publicly, don't we have to evaluate Saturday at some level on wins and losses? Yeah. I mean, I, yes, this was not... Jeff Saturday is going to win you over in every team meeting, in, in, in every press conference. At some point, albeit he was thrown into a difficult situation, I totally acknowledge that, don't we have to evaluate him on that win-loss record? Do you feel like they have played better under him? Do they seem more focused? Do they seem sharper? Do they seem... Definitely have have gotten off the better starts. There's no debating that. They've gotten off the better starts. Uh, I think the O-line play has improved slightly. Outside of that, it's pretty same old, same old to me. They still struggle late in games. They can't score. And they're 1-3 with them. Do you believe that regardless legitimate question, so I'm not trying to, to, to lead your answer here, legitimate question. Do you, Kevin Bowen, believe that regardless of in uh, of outcome this year, that Jeff Saturday's potential to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts next year would be unaffected? In other words, do you believe that he is just as viable a candidate to be hired by Jim Irsay for next season if they lose out versus if they win out. Yeah, that's that's a debate that I have. I mean, win out, yeah. I mean, Ursay would hire him on the spot. He'd right. probably, she'd probably try and carry him off the field at Lucas Oil Stadium, which would be a sight to see. Um, maybe he could do, you know, golf cart ride out and then do the video in the little entry pavilion. Uh, maybe get a jet engine in there, some sort of sound. The dog, would the theme. dog be there? Yeah, Drake would be there, yeah. certainly. Drake the dog. Um you know, question I threw, uh, yes, to to your point, I, I do think record matters. Um, you know, I asked Saturday yesterday, is this something you want to do next year? Which I felt kind of stupid asking that question because, again, like, I don't think the Carolina media is asking Steve Wilkes that question. Did he answer the question as if it was stupid? No. No. He, I mean, well, I, I don't think he answers any question, you know, in a demeaning manner like, yeah anything like that uh, he was very adamant that like I'm, I'm energized am i a little disappointed with how we've played yes but i have a vision for the future and as long as they want to interview me i want to be in the interview process so i think that's a question we have on the saturday front that just needs to be answered and we'll see i don't know does a, a month from now does his answer shift at all the audio clip i want to play mark you up that matt ryan clip from yesterday um you know, I think you are facing a question with Matt Ryan of like, does he want to play past this season? Again, I think he should be benched. I think he's looked old. I think he struggled mightily. I don't think the Colts should bring him back, albeit the financial implications are pretty significant. Um, and Matt Ryan made it very clear back in the spring that uh, I want to play as long as I can. My body feels really good. You know, I still feel like I can play at as high a level as ever. And his play this year would certainly indicate otherwise. Here was Matt Ryan yesterday on if any thought has crept into his mind about next season. You know, I've always tried to just handle the, the day, you know, that's in front of you. And uh, particularly during the season, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, after the season, certainly as you get older, those, those are always discussions, you know, that, that you have to have and, and that you go through. But, you know, during the year, I think you, you try and, 
you know, make sure Wednesday is the best Wednesday it can be, or in today's case, Tuesday, you know, is the best Tuesday it can be. And so I don't go much further than that. Jake, yeah, that, that sounds like a dude that's checked out. That tone is far different than where he was in the spring. That is a dude that's like, hell no, I got no interest in being here, man. And I bring up his health because he's missed two games this year due to injury. He's been hit the most of his NFL career through whatever, 14 games. That is a far cry from what he was expecting coming into this season. And again, it's a far cry from his career. You know, if you look at his past, I think entering this season, you look at the previous 12 years, I think he'd missed one game due to injury. So uh, this sounds harsh, but Jake, it would be a great scenario for the Colts if Matt Ryan decided to retire. Great news for the Colts. You know what's, because this is a possibility, what I'm about to say. It's possible that Matt Ryan returns. I'm not saying it's probable, it's possible. It's possible that Jim Mercer falls in love with Jeff Saturday and hires him as the full-time coach. It's not probable, but it's possible. If that's the case, then that would mean that Chris Ballard is in what year as the general manager next season, Kevin? Would that be year six or seven? Seven, yeah. 2017 was the So that would year. mean that, that Chris Ballard would be seven years in as a general manager of a National Football League team without having hired any of the three head coaches that worked underneath him or drafting a quarterback that was a primary starter. How sweet a gig is that? Like, how sweet a gig is that? You're a morning radio show host, but you never have to actually get up for the first hour and you're only going to have to do things live like twice a week. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I mean, the two biggest responsibilities, and they're not easy responsibilities, don't get me wrong. I, I mean... But the two biggest tests of a general manager that most face are hiring a coach or drafting a quarterback. And what a gig, man. What a gig. Uh, Josh thinks the Colts uh, ruined Matt Ryan. Is that right, Mark? That's correct. Josh, good morning. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing good. How about yourself? Not bad. Um, I just feel like we sold Matt Ryan a bunch of lies. You know, we were supposed to have this wonderful offensive line that we've seen has been terrible. Um, I mean, the poor guy was getting just just rocked every game. He looks like a dog that's been beat too many times at this point. Yeah. Uh, they didn't give him any help at receiver. They could have picked up Julio Jones, who we know was his safety blanket. They could have picked him up cheap. I'm not saying that he's a, a great receiver at this point, but once you had that rapport with somebody, we saw it with Gronk and Brady. But I, I, do they not feel any responsibility for what they've done to this man? He was—he's a uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah, and, and I, now I, now he's not. I feel like we ruined him. Josh, That's I think we got, appreciate the call. I think we could debate the Hall of Fame aspect, but we don't need to do that today. Um, the Colts did not support Matt Ryan. That is one thousand percent true. To Josh's point, he's spot on with that. At the same time. I, th- I don't think Matt Ryan has carried his weight because at some level, Jake, you pay that quarterback an absurd amount of money because he's supposed to lift the ship when needed. And he has not done that either. So I think both are true. Again, I think what's going to be fun if he doesn't come back is to find out who the next 38-year-old is that we're expecting to lift weights considering the fact that we're asking him to lift a level that they haven't actually seen in the weight room in like five years. You know? I mean, who- who's next? Jared Goff. I- if you're Detroit, don't you stick with Jared Goff? 
I mean, what's Joe Flacco doing? Has he got a year left in him? Let's bring him in. What the hell? Where's Mitchell Trubisky? Let's give him a call. We missed on him last time. He's handed the keys over to Pickett's little hands. Let's get him in here. I, you know. Matt Ryan turns 38 next year, 15 seasons in the NFL. Again, I know it probably sounds a little bit too harsh, but it would be great news for the Colts if he decided to if retire. If I'm Matt Ryan, I'm like, why would I go back? Right? Well, there's some nice money on the table. Well, that's true. But hey, does he need money at this point? And again, he has been beat up this season. To, I mean, Josh had a very graphic explanation for that, um, but it is true. I mean, he has been beat up a lot more than he has really throughout his NFL career. Uh, we'll continue this conversation coming up. Stephen Holder joins us next. Again, Matt McKillop at 830. That's the Davidson head basketball coach. Uh, Purdue's got Davidson over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse coming up. Their first game for Purdue is ranked number one in the nation this season. Chris Denary in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll learn a little bit more about Ryan Walters coming up in the 9 o'clock hour as well. It is a dreary start to this Wednesday morning. Some rain was falling on our commute in. So, as Karen Query would want to inform, watch out for the wet leaves on this Wednesday morning. Kevin Aquary right here, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 8 o'clock hour is... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Underway, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton has finished his 12th cereal bar this morning and is here with us as well. He has dialed up for us on the Payless Sugars Hotline, our friend from ESPN.com, Stephen Holder who covers the Indianapolis Colts. Steven, I'm going to get right to this with you. Uh, one of your colleagues at ESPN had a, a mock draft. I'm not sure if it was – I'm not sure who it was that wrote it, actually. But had the Colts drafting seventh. That obviously is fluid. But with it, had the Colts taking an offensive lineman out of Northwestern, who I know is a dynamic – foreseen to be a dyna- dynamic player. But – uh, do you really see a possibility if the Colts are drafting inside of the top 10 that they once again bypass quarterback? Well, I, I think I saw that mock draft. I think that scenario that was presented there had, I believe, the top three quarterbacks uh, off the board already. Uh, Will Levis, I think, being uh, maybe the sixth overall pick, I think, in, in that scenario. Uh, I think it was Todd McShay, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think under that scenario, it becomes tricky. And this is this is one of those scenarios that we will dig further into, you know, as we get closer, because these are going to be the realities, I think, that, that, the, that they'll have to face is, you know, what happens if those, those top two quarterbacks we think are going to go, you know, somewhere in the top five, right? And then it becomes a question of where does the next quarterback go? Um you know, if in fact it, it becomes a, a group of three at the very top of the draft, which is where we think it is right now, it's very, very early. Okay, let's be clear. And and a lot of these projections change drastically from December to like you know March and April. But I do think that's a possible, you know, a possible outcome that the Colts are going to have to face. You know, if if the top quarterbacks are gone, what do they do? If they're not high enough in the draft, and their their position could also change, right? So that's the other that's the other factor here. So I don't I don't think it's a matter under that scenario of bypassing quarterback. I think it's more a matter of 
the quarterbacks that are worthy of being taken in that at that level being gone, and then what do they do? And that's a very real problem. And that's why you know this draft is not necessarily going to be uh, one that solves all their problems. And that's that's something that I I've kind of tried to convey to fans. I don't think we can assume that. You know, I, I just don't think we can assume this draft is going to solve all of their problems. You know, because they're not going to have you know a, a top two or three pick, and then you never know where that leaves you. Yeah, and if you look you know, into the third round, that Washington pick is going to be a lot deeper into the third round than you were hoping compared to yeah. where your uh, third-round pick would have been. Again, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. On the quarterback front, Stephen, um, you know, I, I felt like the Matt Ryan tone was a little bit different yesterday in answering the question about the thought of 2023 and playing out his contract versus where it was in the spring. And maybe that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, he's been beat up this year and it's a season that he definitely wasn't expecting. Have you gotten any sense or any impression that he might hang it up? I haven't. No, not specifically. I mean, I think there's the obvious, right? Which is how he's playing and, and his, his standing with the team in the long term, which can't be great. <laughs> you know, certainly they, they have some decisions to make at quarterback. But, no, I, I haven't gotten that impression. I, honestly, I think the reality with Matt Ryan, I think if, if he's a businessman and, and he's played long enough that I think that he is, uh, the reality is that if he's smart, he's just going to wait it out and let the Colts make the decision for him. And, and the reason I say that is because if he if he retires, I, I believe he would have to forego uh, some of that guaranteed money that he's owed. I, I believe the um, the seven million dollar bonus. I believe it's seven million, and I, I think there's some other sum of money that may or may not be forfeited as well if he retires. I have to confirm. Yeah, I think that, it's but. like a ten million bonus. I want to say that is maybe roster bonus and then the seven billions yeah. is salary bonus so yeah 17 total right so i mean he I, that money's guaranteed but i if i understand it correctly it's guaranteed if he's on the roster at a certain date yeah come march and so right so um and, and if they cut him i think they still owe that money if if i'm not mistaken i i, I should have confirmed a lot more of this before we had this conversation. But the point is, I'm pretty certain that money, uh, that money's owed to him if he's cut. Cause I think that that trigger has already come in terms of the guarantee, um, for the Colts, the decisions on them. I think if, if you're Matt Ryan, you want them to make the decision is what I'm saying. I mean, uh, at minimum, even if the roster bonus doesn't come, I think the, if the roster bonus doesn't get paid. There's still, guarantees uh in the salary that he would be owed so yeah just from a business perspective you you got to wait on them if you're if you're matt ryan i know he's made plenty of money and he's he's just fine and and he's not going to miss that money but it's it's yours right so uh, i think that's that's how i would play it i'm sure that's how his agent will tell him to play it and then there's also a separate matter which is what you're really getting at in, in terms of you know what does he want to do and I still think he's that competitor that he's always been, but this season has taken a lot of, out of Matt Ryan. There's no doubt about that, and maybe that's what you're kind of hearing. You know, maybe that's what you're picking up on. And I imagine he's kind of processing a lot. You know, that's happened this year. 
Steven, I'm going to ask a broken record question, and I apologize for asking a broken record question. <laughs> but And I don't know that any of us know definitively, so I want your take on it. Between Chris Ballard, Jim Mersey, Jeff Saturday, I'll throw Matt Ryan in the hopper because quarterback's the most important position in sports. Do you feel like everybody in terms of the direction – the goal in mind, the vision for the remainder of this season, is everyone within the Colts boardroom on the same page? Um, I think so. I think so. Um, I mean, for for one, I mean, I, t- I can tell you that Chris Ballard, for example, and I, I talked to someone recently who who would know and he has been beside himself, you know, in terms of, you know, having to deal with losses. And, uh, look, let me tell you, Chris Ballard sat with an earshot of me and the other, uh, Indianapolis writers, uh, during the Dallas game. Okay. And if you think this guy wants to lose, then I, I, I would give you my seat for like five minutes in that press box. And you would come away with a much different tone. Let me tell you, I'll leave it at that. I won't, you know, I won't, get into particulars, but listen, that guy was miserable. Okay. So he wants to win. There's no question about that. And he just can't stomach losing. Jim Mersey, I think parts of Jim Mersey understand the business of football for sure. Right. I mean, he's on this team for a long time, uh, but Jim Mersey is the biggest fan of all. Okay. He's the biggest fan of all and hates to lose. So, you know, and then there's Jeff Saturday who has no clue if he's going to be here next year. He could care less, couldn't care less. Ah, I caught myself. See? There you go. I almost said should of, right? That's a pet peeve of mine. Um, He couldn't care less about draft position. It's probably not even going to be his problem. (laughs) Okay? So, yeah, I think if, if you're talking about, if that's what you're getting at, right, when you say are the goals aligned, if you're talking about, you know, whether they're actually trying to win or whether there's any active tanking involved. There may be some passive tanking. I don't know. But, no, there's there's not. They're, they're trying to win, and I think there's just a lot of pride involved for everybody on everybody involved right now. So they're trying to win. They're just not doing a good job of it. Steve, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, Jeff Saturday, I thought I had you know, a good amount of conviction yesterday behind the answer on if he wants yeah. to coach. Uh, full time, you know, it almost seems like that is a question that has to be asked. I mean, this is new to Jeff Saturday. It's a, you know, totally kind of foreign experience from what he was used to or what he was previously doing. Um, any surprise at all about just how much conviction he had and how adamant he was of yes, I want to interview for this full time gig. Well, first of all, I mean, you you ripped the band aid off pretty good there, and I, I'm glad you did because by asking that question because. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was kind of wondering, and, and I think the, the question for us was kind of like, all right, when do we go there? And maybe after a 25-point loss to Dallas is a good time to do it. So Yeah, I was like a little more post-bye week, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, yeah, I thought his answer, number one, I appreciate the direct answer because I thought he could have tiptoed around it, right? He could have just been like, ah, you know, I'm just focused on today. Right, I got to talk with my family at the end of the season, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because normally that's the answer you get on those situations. To just credit, and this is this is very helpful if you're if you're a sports writer, you, you want a direct answer, and we got one. I thought his, his answer was, 
not stunning, but I thought surprisingly and refreshingly honest. Um, he, you know, I, I thought that when he came into this, you know, he said he wanted to do this long term, but I, I don't know if I fully believed it because I thought it was just kind of a, it was like an experiment for him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, Jim Irsay asked, I said, ah, what the heck? <laughs> you know, I, I, part of me wondered if, if, if this wasn't deep down inside like an experiment for Jeff Saturday, you know what I'm saying? And I thought he put that to rest by, by giving the answer that he did. He's like, hey, I'm here. I want to do this. I have, he was very specific when he said, I have a vision for what this could look like in the future. He didn't get into what that is, but, but that tells me he's thinking about, you know, what he would do if he is the coach in the long term. So I like this answer. Um, I, I would probably go a different direction, but I mean, certainly some of the shine has been lost right these this past month. But but I love I love the direct answer, Stephen. I can't even believe I'm about to ask this. Oh boy, let me is, put my seatbelt on. That's right. Is Jacksonville going to sneak in and make things interesting down the home stretch of the AFC South? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's up. First of all, the Titans are are a mess. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, this is I haven't seen Jacksonville play a lot in recent weeks, but but this is kind of what I I thought was possible because Doug Peterson's a good coach, and it's not like they're completely devoid of talent. I mean, they have multiple number one overall picks. Okay, and so and and one of them is their quarterback who's starting to you know perform better, right? And and starting to look like a little more like the guy we thought he could be, functional. And I think their defense it's not very consistent, but it's it's talented in spots. So yeah, I mean if if, if the door remains open, who knows, man? I, I tell you that, and I think there's there's a lesson here if you're a Colts fan. I haven't answered your question directly, but I, I don't know the answer. But I, 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 I think it would be it would certainly be very interesting, right? But the lesson here for the Colts fans, if you are one, is that the the, the years ahead, okay, the years to come, could be very different, man. I mean, they're they're in a tough spot here if they don't fix this quarterback situation, and and then the the other variable is that you know some of their better players. You know, they're in their prime. They're going to be coming out of their prime, you know, before you know it, right? So where are the Colts in the long term in this whole mix, you know? And then you have Houston over here who's going to get their quarterback of the future. Maybe they get it right this time, right? Who knows? And and who knows what that means for their franchise? So the AFC South is not a great division right now and, and doesn't look good nothing looks the, good in the afc south right with now. all the teams in the afc think. south getting you know they're all stuck in this quicksand of suck right and jacksonville looks yeah. like they're they're kind of maybe getting their ankle free but does that cause jim mercy to look at it and say hell yeah we're still in this thing or does it cause jim mercy to pound the table harder and say it is absurd that we're not in this hunt <laughs> probably the latter right now because the reason i say that is because even if they're mathematically alive, I mean, what are you hanging your hat on, right? At some point, you gotta, you, you can't just be mathematically alive. You have to show a pulse, right? You have to show that that you're you're capable of taking advantage of that window being open 
the window's open and they're just sitting there looking at the window. <laughs> they're not actually climbing through it in any form or fashion. So, I mean, if it's me, my reaction would be, man, what a blown opportunity, <laughs> you know? And as you said, I mean, they're, they're varying degrees of suck in division right now. And the Colts are sucking to a very high degree. No yeah, question about that. Colts would be eliminated in any other division in the AFC right now, but the AFC South yeah. just offers that nice you know, sliver of hope here. Um, T.Y. Hilton, Stephen, joining Dallas. Can Stephen Holder, ESPN.com with us. Do you think the Colts were ever close at all with T.Y. Hilton this offseason? We know Jim Mercer kind of sweetened the pot in 2021 um, to bring T.Y. Hilton back, but do you think there was ever any serious talks with him? Okay, so... I actually have some information on this. Uh, my understanding in the last couple of days, in fact, was that they were closer than you think to making it happen back in, I don't know, if maybe training camp, I guess. Um, there was, it was a serious conversation, and it almost happened. Uh, they couldn't come to terms, is my understanding. So this would have been for the start of the season. He would have played you know, yes. week one. Not Got recently. It. Not recently, yeah. This, was, this would have been back, I believe, in August. I, is my understanding that that's how I interpreted what I was told. So certainly not in recent weeks or months. This was this was before the regular season. Okay, so they were definitely talking. I mean, we knew they were talking. I mean, Chris Ballard told us they had been in contact throughout the off season, uh, but in the end, uh, they just couldn't come to terms on the money and just couldn't get it done. And, and I I don't know what. I don't know what the numbers were. I'm not even going to speculate. I have no idea. But that's what it was. And that doesn't stun me because I'll tell you why. I think for, for the Colts, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say luxury, you know, because I think they could have definitely used him. But I, but I don't think they saw it as urgent on their behalf. So uh, the offer likely reflected that. You know, whatever it was. Again, I don't know the numbers, but I think whatever it was reflected you know, the the Colts' um, opinion of, of how necessary it was to have T.Y. Hilton on their roster. And so, I mean, if you're T.Y., from his perspective, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I've I've earned some respect from this team, and I, I want a certain number, right? And and also, if, if you're a veteran of, of his age who has made a lot of money, you know, it's got to be worth it to you, you know? So I have no idea what the money – ended up being in Dallas. It's not going to be a lot, right? It's, it's December. But I think that's less about money and more about opportunity, chase a ring, et cetera. Uh, unique opportunity for a guy who, who's, you know, not won a lot of tangible rewards in his career. So, Stephen, based on the fact that seemingly the Colts did not go out and I'm going off memory here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but in that time period, it's not like they went out and signed a veteran receiver, right? Right. So would that have been basically the pursuit of T.Y. Hilton, would that have been almost like a a ceremonial signing? In other words, it's not like because they didn't come to terms with him, they went elsewhere and that was a need that they felt they had to address and he right. just happened to be the guy, right? Is that a fair statement? That That is true, yes. I mean, I think it was it was a couple of things. They were comfortable with him. Uh, he would he would certainly give them a leadership role in a very young unit. There's no question about that. Uh, he also, um, you know, I think there was uh, just uh, there was maybe some element of of you know ceremonial to some extent, right? Just because you know, look, he's almost at ten thousand yards, and 
you know, that's a big milestone. I mean, I think that's all of it is, is, is the reason why, right? I don't think there's any single reason. And then just the obvious too, right? They were very young in that room. And I think there were a lot of questions coming into the season. I'll give Chris Ballard some credit. I don't have a huge problem with the wide receivers. I think they've done fine. I think their bigger problem has been at quarterback and offensive line and the collective performance there. The wide receivers, I, I don't think they're the issue. So I, I think they they got one they got one thing right in terms of the areas where they where they took some leaps. They took a lot of leaps, like left tackle and so forth. But that leap that they took, I think it worked out fine. But we didn't know that at the time, and neither did they, you know. So so I think that was kind of where their thinking was. Off to Minnesota this weekend again. It's a one o'clock tip come or one o'clock tip one o'clock kick coming up this Saturday. NFL Network, I think locally Fox fifty nine, along with obviously on these airwaves. Stephen, safe travels here. Safe travels to New York coming up around the new year. And uh, thanks as always. All right, guys. Happy holidays. Stephen Holder, right there on the Payless Slickers Hotline. He said something early on, Jake, that I think is worth going back to of you can't solve anything or you can't solve everything in this draft. It's obviously true when you only are picking once in round one, once in round two. Like I said, you don't have your third round pick. You have Washington's third round pick this year. It's why, Jake, I think one of the biggest, honestly, probably the biggest storyline for the final four games of the season. Does Bernard Ryman look like your left tackle of the future? I think if you talk to some people offensive line related, they would say that he's made a, some some strides in a positive direction here as of late. If you feel like at the end of the year, which is no slam dunk, that he is your left tackle of the future and that pans out, that is a huge, 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 cannot stress that enough, piece to the puzzle that has been missing since Anthony Costanza retired. Correct. But, and, and that would do wonders to, for your football team. But you know, if you look at Anthony Costanzo, Kevin... In addressing quarterback, of course. Did Costanzo look like your left tackle of the future and your pillar after one season? He did not, which does that offer you hope with right. Ryman? And, and, you know, now, granted, a, Costanzo was drafted, what, 21 overall or something, and Bernard Ryman was 90th overall? Yeah, but Ryman was also thought to be somebody that could potentially have been taken in... In other words, if you would have taken Ryman in the late first, early second, I don't know that it would have been completely... Torch, right? He was kind of seen in that area. Yeah. But that is, again, I think that individual storyline is absolutely critical to you, keep you an know eye the on. Front office was hoping for Bernard Ryman. I'm Bernard Ryman, <laughs> and I'll be back. That pause gets me every time. It's perfect. So good. It was very well executed. I mean, he could be an actor, right? Post playing career? Have the Dick Buckus <laughs> career? Or? Sure. Yeah. Alex percent. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Mark, we've got Matt McKillop, is that right, coming yep. up next? Mm-hmm. Davidson head coach. So he That's is the he took over for his dad, right? He Bob did. was the longtime Davidson head coach. His first season as the Davidson head coach. I believe they're seven and three. He also has a connection to central Indiana that I find fascinating. Really? Mm-hmm. I have a feeling you'll bring that up with him coming up in a few minutes. Uh, So we'll do that in about five minutes. Let's do a morning check down. The morning check down brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Last night in the NBA, it was Milwaukee 128-111 over the Warriors of Golden State. Giannis had 30 and 12. Steph Curry had 20. The big news there, Kevin, is that begins the watch. Does Steph Curry... Does Draymond Green, does Clay Thompson, 
or do I should say any of them set out tonight as Pacers and Warriors at the Fieldhouse? Yeah, you know, if you look at Vegas, they've got the line at one and a half, Pacers underdog. That would probably indicate they believe some of these guys are going to sit out. You're going back and looking at the Warriors this season with back-to-backs. Clay Thompson has sat out every single one of them. Steph and Draymond, about half of them. Um, again, the good news for Pacers fans or fans of Steph Curry that are going to be in the building tonight, and I don't know, maybe I would think Pacers fans would rather be entertained by Steph Curry than get a resting Warriors team. Um, but they barely played in the fourth quarter. So did that change Steve Kerr's plans at all with this back-to-back? Again, nothing on that front just yet. We'll keep you posted if we hear anything throughout the morning. But Pacers and Warriors tonight at 7. Jake, yesterday in the World Cup, You've got Argentina advancing to the final. That means Lionel Messi, and I would assume if you are a member of the Fox uh, TV um, ratings people, you're probably very happy. I would think Lionel Messi will be a nice draw for the final there. So that is one half of it. The other half we'll find out today, France versus the Cinderella story of Morocco. Again, Morocco, Mark, you said that's the first French nation in the semifinals, right? First African or at what nation. I say, sorry, we were saying that earlier they have French influence. First African nation in the semifinals. Uh, that would mean that they would be the first French in the finals, right? Or African in the finals. Why do I keep saying French? I don't know. I'm kind of glad. He, weird. I'm kind of glad he butchered that after yeah. he tried to pull out the same joke. It's not a joke. I'm being serious. I'm just saying it's deductive. Call me Shirley. By the way, college basketball, Indiana and Kansas. That game, Saturday at noon, Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. It will be Purdue taking on Davidson. That is part of the Indy Classic. That game here in Indianapolis, the Boilers are ranked number one overall, and we're going to get... The Lawyer uh, Brothers, right? Glimpse on the other side of the curtain, right? Fletcher versus Foster Lawyer in that matchup. Yeah, just one note uh, before we get to Matt McKillop again coming up. In a few minutes, Ryan Walters, the new Purdue head football coach, he will meet the media around noon today. It is a five-year deal for him. 36 years old, fourth youngest head coach right now in college football. And he, he checked the box on day one duties. Get the viral video out there and handing a scholarship to Devin Mockaby. I love Mockaby's reaction, just like hands in the air. The fact that Mockaby wasn't on scholarship has to be bewildering to everyone. You know, part of me thought when they when Brom left, like if I were Mike Babinski, that awkward like weak period. I don't know if he has the clout to do this. I just would have given Maccabi a scholarship then. Yeah, it's very odd. Why do I keep saying French for Morocco? What, Brady what Allen, about, Purdue young quarterback, you sounds like he's sticking around. Too. Upset is that why? I don't, know, I don't know what it is about Morocco that like is emblazed in my head that there's a French. I know that they have French influence, but I do believe a good amount of their lineup has some European dual citizenship. Yeah, so maybe know. that's playing into it. I don't, I don't know. know. Trying to predict your brains, like trying to predict Jim Mercer's brain at times. <laughs> Here's my partner, Matt McKillop, Davidson, and proud. Davidson, head basketball coach, joins us next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A lot of Davidson Wildcats. In Indianapolis here over the next couple of days, Steph Curry and the Warriors tonight. And then on Saturday, it is the Indy Classic. Ball State at 6-4 and four with Michael Lewis's team on a two-game win streak, taking on Illinois State at 3-30. Then after that, it's the number one team in the land, the Boilermakers of Purdue, taking on Davidson. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is in, I believe, his 14th season on staff at Davidson, his first 
as the head coach. Matt McCullough joins us to talk about that particular game. Coach, first off, good morning to you. Appreciate you getting up early with us. Yeah, good morning. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, you sound wide awake. Are you a, like a coffee latte guy? What time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, it all depends on my household. I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and then my wife and I have a, have a three-month-old baby boy. So uh, it's, there's, there's little sleep going on right now. I'm usually having to find my way to be wide awake. Boy, Mark. as a three-month-old three in my house, thoughts and prayers with you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, Coach, how did this game come about? Obviously, we are used to the Crossroads Classic here and Indiana-Purdue, Butler-Notre Dame for about a decade. And then, you know, it seemed like there was interest from Purdue to maintain some sort of indie presence. Uh, How did you guys come to be? Was the lawyer connection part of the reason that you wanted to schedule this game? That that had a lot to do with it, yeah. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, I just took over as head coach and uh, recently, and you know, end of June was when I was named head coach. But as an assistant for the last several years, one of my responsibilities was was putting together our non-conference schedule. So we we always do whatever we can to find Power Five teams, Top Twenty Five teams, you know, the most highly ranked teams we can play to compete against. And it's it's challenging for us to find teams that will play us, you know, on a on a home court at our place. Um, usually they want to play only a game, uh, you know, a money game on, on their home court. And I reached out to somebody on the, on the Purdue staff, you know, sometimes sometime early last basketball season and, and mentioned that, Hey, with, with Foster lawyer here and Fletcher lawyer there, is this, is this something that could be of interest to you guys? And then a couple of weeks later, I got a, I got a call, um, about this event and, um, you know, the crossroads, the crossroads classic coming to an end, but some, some type of similar double header being played and, um, Davidson for, first Purdue being an option and I think the lawyer piece to it was what was attractive to us but also attractive to, 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 to them and um, it, made, it made sense and we were excited to be a part of it which has caused you uh, to stay awake late at night in the last week with more frequency having a three-month-old or figuring out what to do against number one Purdue and Zach Eady? I would say my three-month-old is pretty tame compared to what Zach Eady is currently doing on the court um, across the college basketball world. Uh, he, he's terrific. Um, you know, we uh, when my my first year actually on staff at Davidson, we played Purdue in Indy, and um, we had Steph Curry, and they had Joe Jawan Johnson, Etwan Moore, Robbie Hummel, Chris Kramer. Um, they were really good, and I was tasked with being a you know, one of the coaches doing a scout and, and right away I, I, my eyes were open to the kind of type of coach that Matt Painter is and the way he can get his team to play the, the style of their offense and just how challenging it is to guard. We, we played them again a few years ago down in the Charleston classic as well. So um, no surprise that coach Painter has been able to take a freshman backcourt, put them together with a, a, a I say developing only because he's, his production last year was, you know, minimal, if you will, compared to what he's doing right now. But no, no surprise at all that Coach Painter has figured out a way to make this team the best team in the country. Coach, I wanted you to give kind of a perspective for people listening. Matt McCullough is our guest, the head coach at Davidson. Uh, you were an assistant, as you mentioned, when Steph Curry was there. And, you know, there are people listening right now that might have a young person in the household that's that's an aspiring athlete, or maybe young people are listening. Steph Curry was the son of an NBA player. But he was probably thought coming out of high school to be a little bit undersized. And there probably would have been a lot of motivation in him to say, you know, why am I not at one of the big power fives? I mean, that is no disrespect to Davidson, but just based on his pedigree, what did you see out of him in terms of his work ethic or preparation to get him to the point where he is now 
that could be a lesson for young people? So I, what I'll first I'll preface with this is I just stayed out of his way. He was that exceptional. And I was only on staff for his last year at Davidson. So I was not necessarily a part of the recruiting process. I was actually on the Davidson team when he visited um, as, as, a, as a member of the team. Um, but what, what I saw the one year I was on staff with him, I'm sorry, the one year I was on staff and he was on the team was um, he had an, an unbelievable daily approach and it was regimented and he took it seriously and it, it wasn't just rolling the ball out and get a few shots up like he had he was intentional about what he did when he stepped on the court every day as a, as a 20 20 21 year old um but what what sets him apart now which is who he also was as a college player which i imagine he did as a high school an aau player was he had this mental capacity to live in the moment unlike anybody you'll ever see um he could make a mistake and it would not affect his next possession he could miss a shot he could turn the ball over he could get beat defensively but he was able to perform that next possession as if it was the first possession as if he was you know starting from scratch um and and you know it's it's so it sounds so simple it sounds so easy but that that is a challenge that i deal with that our players deal with that you you want to be able to give them like this magic potion that they can they can drink and all of a sudden be able to perform like that but but he has an unbelievable ability to live in the moment to play in the moment and to not let anything affect him again it's gonna be dave sorry about that coach it's gonna be davidson and purdue coming up saturday evening over at gamebridge field house um i want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier just about facing purdue how do you replicate zach Eady in practice I, I'm like, you know, picturing scenes from the movie of like, yeah, here's our tallest head coach with a broom and, you know. Like it, Ollie getting on the shoulders, right? Sure, yeah. Like, I, I'm picturing a little bit of that. Can you and how do you simulate, you know, what is probably the most unique matchup in college basketball? Yeah, it's <clears throat> I, what I would say, and, and I'll, I'll put it this way. So we're in exams right now. So we, we played last Wednesday. We had a few off days. We practiced over the weekend. We, had, we were off the last two days. Now we're going to be full boat into practice preparation for Purdue. And we treated our previous practices less about our next opponent. It was more about us and what we needed to do to get better with a little sprinkle in, in a few subtle things about Purdue in there without our players maybe realizing it because we, we were really working on ourselves. But um, it, in my opinion, it's more about when, when he catches the ball, there's so little that you can actually do when he catches it in the right spot. So it, it, you don't really need a seven foot four person on the court necessarily. It's, it's more about keeping keeping everybody who could possibly be close to that size on our team or on our scout team away from certain spots on the court and making things difficult for them. Um, I don't think anybody in the country can replicate it. And we do have a really tall freshman, and by really tall, he's going to be dwarfed by Zach Eady, um, who we're, we're thinking, hey, should we put him on scout team? And he's not someone you'd want on scout team. We want him playing and getting reps because he's going he's gonna to contribute minutes as he has in almost every game this year. But, um, but yeah, we're probably going to have one of our assistant coaches who's maybe five, 5'11", six foot tall, but he's he's got some strength and some size to maybe play post position. He'll replicate him as best he can um, because it's the best it's the best option we have on our team. And I know it's going to feel quite a bit different when we go up for the jump ball on on Saturday. But um, but yeah, I, I think the question you ask is what everybody will struggle with as they go through the year and they prepare for Purdue. How can you how can you replicate that? And, and I don't think you can. All right, New Zealand, Switzerland, Italy, Iceland. It's a hell of an international recruiting budget here um, for the Davidson roster. I assume that's a pretty conscious effort. You guys strike me as a very intelligent school. I don't think it's a very big school, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I assume there's a conscious effort in trying to get some international flavor. 
Yeah, so like you mentioned, we're not a very big school. We have 2,000 students. We're all undergraduate. It's it's a residential campus, so it's pretty unique in the landscape of Division One college athletics. Um, and it's, it's a rigorous academic school, so it's challenging. It's, um, you know, we like to compare ourselves to the Ivy League schools in terms of the reputation our degree has and the, the quality of the students that we have to recruit. And um, for, for years, when my father, Bob McKillop, who was the previous head coach, was, was trying to build the program, um, and he was used to head coach for 33 years, so he, he figured out ways to try to find players anywhere and everywhere that would, one, be interested in coming to Davidson, but two, would have the academic credentials to not only get into Davidson, but to, 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 to thrive once they got here. So he uh, you know, was uncovering every stone and turning over every stone to try to find those, those prospects. And we, we found ourselves going to Europe and looking internationally quite a bit. And um, it's, it's been great for us. And last year, we started three international players. We've had two players of the year in the last four years that were one was from Iceland, one was from Austria in the, in the, in the Atlantic 10. So um, I believe that international players have a familiarity of Davidson because of Stephen Curry. And when they look a little closer in the recruiting process, they see some other people who've paved that same path and made the decision to go across the, the ocean to have a basketball career. And they've seen other international players succeed at Davidson and, and, and perform well and, and be productive. And I think they, they're attracted to that so it's something i believe we're going to continue to do coach i wanted to to touch on this as well to kind of bring an indiana tie into this when you talk about international you know obviously this was not a recruiting trip but rather a trip for the growth of your young men uh and perhaps for all of you that partook in it back in 2018 if i'm not mistaken eva core who was an indiana native well, not an Indiana native, but an Indiana resident, obviously, yeah. um, who was Romanian and was in Auschwitz as a young girl, along with her twin sister, and survived it, survived the Holocaust, and then became essentially the face of educating people about the Holocaust, uh, took your basketball team or accompanied your basketball team in 2018 uh, to what had to be an incredibly powerful journey. Can you talk about that trip that you were on as an assistant and what it meant for your players and just how it all came together and what you left there, what came with you from that? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best because it was, it was a moving emotional, um, trip. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to say it's a great experience because you go and you see such atrocity. Um, when, when you, when you walk around Auschwitz, um, and, and funny, funny enough, uh, right before getting on this call, um, I got an email from from Alex Kaur, who's who's Eva's son. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but Eva's Eva's husband uh, is, I think he's a Purdue. He, he unfortunately passed away last year, but but he's he's a crazy Boilermaker fan. Correct. Um, and uh, so okay, so you're you're familiar with everything there. But um, but I got an email from Alex. I know he's going to be at the game, and he's become a really good friend of mine and our programs. Um, the trip came about, you know, in some some kind of unique ways. We have a Davidson alum who's on the board of a of an organization that's a Holocaust remembrance organization, and they were trying to put together a trip for a, a, a younger group. So, because you know, as every year goes by, there's less and less Holocaust survivors, unfortunately, and there's this fear that the Holocaust memories may you know drift away. And we want to continue; they want to continue to educate the younger generations about what happened. Um, so that that's how we were able to go over there. And and as you know every college team can take an international trip every four years. And we were able to get, a, I guess, a waiver from the NCAA because we weren't going to play basketball at all. In fact, we were only there for three nights. Um, and uh, it was 
it was amazing for, for all the ways that you could be touched and you could be moved and you could see resilience from people like Eva, who was a child when she was there um, and she was torn away from her mother and she showed us that, that place in that moment where she saw her mother for the last time. And it was to have her tell our team this and to have such positivity about everything she did and she toured us around. I mean, it was, it was an experience that we'll, we will all carry with us, I think, forever. Um, and we got to spend time with her, and she's 80 years old, and she's gone through the worst thing in the world. And, you know, she can relate to an 18-, 19-year-old college basketball player who comes from a completely different background. And it just shows you what being positive, what, what working together, what being a part of a, of a group who has, has the will to survive and a will to do something bigger than themselves. It just, I don't know, it's something that you could take with you, you know, forever, I guess. So that, that's maybe my best answer, and I don't know I can ever do justice to an answer like that because um, what we saw was um, was horrible, but we, what we got to experience being with Eva was incredible. Well, I think – One experience. Yeah, and, wow. and I think both of the cores, Eva and her husband, you know, certainly I know that Alex's father, Eva's husband, was, was indeed a huge Purdue fan, uh, a big fan of Matt Painter. Uh, and John Wooden, for that matter, who had played at Purdue. Uh, but I got a feeling, Coach, they're going to be watching this game from above and probably rooting for both teams, right, as a result of that because that's an experience and a bond that uh, I think is very special and there's a lot of respect there, I, I think. So, um, you know, I'm glad you guys were able to make that trip with them. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thankful you brought it up. That was that was a, 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 I guess a great memory, despite the word great not being a great characteristic for what we saw. But um, but, I, but I appreciate you bringing, bringing up our our relationship with that family because they're special. He is Matt McKillop. Again, the Davidson Wildcats coming to Indianapolis this Saturday, approximately about 6.15 tip Purdue and Davidson after Illinois State and Ball State over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Coach, I think it's a fun matchup. Obviously, a unique angle with the Lawyer brothers watching uh, Foster this year and Fletcher. Both of them have been extremely impressive in their own right. And certainly um, that family's got to be pretty proud of how both of those guys have played this season. So safe travels up here to Indy, and uh, good luck. Well, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me on. That's Matt McKillop right there, the head coach again of the Davidson Wildcats on the Payless Liquors hotline. I totally had forgotten about that Steph Curry game over at Gamebridge Field, or uh, Banker's Life, I guess it would have been back then. Chris Kramer was all over. I was going to say, Kramer was outstanding. And I remember back in the day, Ronald Norad, remember they used to do that bracket buster? Like yeah. The mid-major teams would face off in February yep. to try to improve their resume. I remember Nora doing a great job down at Davidson uh, in a matchup against Steph Curry uh, back in the day. So, um, ironically, as you mentioned to him, Jake, Steph Curry in the building tonight. We'll continue to keep you posted so on... So, too, will be Ronald Nora, by the way. He is going to play. Correct. Ronald Nora, of course. Uh, very... Uh, very energized coach on the sidelines, Ronald Norred. He is clearly their defensive coach. There are times I'm like, is he past midcourt? <laughs> he is to clearly make sure they their are locked defensive in. coach. He's Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yelling, especially at Isaiah Jackson. Yes, he <laughs> Move over! Yeah. <laughs> he is the defensive coordinator, to say the least. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ryan Walters, Purdue new head football coach. When we come back, Kristen Airy joins us in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari on a Wednesday. Just after the show ended yesterday, some white smoke from West Lafayette with the hiring of Ryan Walters, 36-year-old 
head football coach, the fourth youngest head coach in Boy, FBS. He loves it too, doesn't he? He definitely does. Jake, the defensive resume is wildly impressive. I mentioned these numbers earlier. I think they're worth repeating. Um, he was Missouri's defensive coordinator. Brett Bielema takes a job at Illinois and wants to hire him. He comes over to Illinois at the start of the 2020 season. At that point, they were the 97th ranked scoring defense and 114th in yards allowed. They jumped to 29th in scoring and 49th in yards in one season under Walters. The next season, which would be this past year, they climbed to first. They were the best scoring defense in college football this year. Seven teams scored 10 or less against Illinois this season, and they were second in yards. That's what stands out to me the most. You know, again, he seems like a pretty mild mannered individual. I know a lot of people feel like he's a great connector with people, but what he did defensively at a school that I don't think is gobs and gobs of talent, that's really, really impressive. And if you look at the places where he's been in his journey, a player at Colorado and then served, I think, as a graduate assistant at Colorado, but he's been at some big-time schools, you know, Arizona, Oklahoma, Missouri, Illinois, so Power 5 schools probably has has worked under a number of different coaches to get kind of an idea. Um, I think that a lot of coaches, Kevin, just naturally bring or take with them little nuggets that they've learned along the way from different guys they've seen and seen you know, what works, what doesn't, etc. Probably some learning on the job, going from a coordinator to a head coach, and it remains to be seen how that will play out. Coaching hires are an interesting thing. You know, sometimes a coach gets hired that you think is a slam dunk. Daryl Hazel looked to be an absolute slam dunk hire. And obviously, Purdue knows what happened there. Um, you know, Jeff Brom was one that also looked like a slam dunk, and it worked out. So, uh, certainly hope that this is a situation where, once again, and by the way, Daryl Hazel was a super cool dude. I mean, I would have loved to have seen that work out, but it just, for whatever reason, the recruiting tailed off. Um, I thought it was interesting, as we mentioned earlier, that Mockaby was given a scholarship on day one because I think everybody was like, wait a minute, that dude wasn't on scholarship? Yeah, absolutely. So No-brainer. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like Brady Allen, their young quarterback from uh, Gibson Southern, uh, tweeted yesterday he's excited about everything. And obviously, that's critical to maintain some of the young talent. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Jake. You could probably go glass half full on the young hire or the retread, however you want to look at it. The retread, you're thinking to yourself, he has experience, might not view this job as a stepping stone, might have a little bit more staying power if you have success at that job, might not be looking to run to the next one. Um, That's a glass half full approach there. The glass half full approach to the young hire could be more open-minded to NIL, more open-minded to the transfer portal, a better understanding, kind of grew up in this new age of college football. So there might be a little bit more uh, kind of like self-energy down that path, again, the negative would be, if you look at Walter's resume, it's not like he's got these immense ties to the Midwest and Purdue. If he does have success, which would be great for Purdue, does he go elsewhere? Again, you're getting way ahead of yourself in saying that. I would say the question for me resides more, again, offensively. Obviously, Purdue's track record speaks for itself on that side of the ball. And again, it's a little bit low-hanging fruit comparing Purdue to Indiana, but I would argue one of the biggest issues Tom Allen has had at Indiana in his six seasons, Jakey's had four offensive coordinators. Yeah. And Kellen DeBoer left there and had great success 
at Fresno State and now is one of the young up-and-coming head coaches in college football at Washington, if you can't maintain continuity on that side of the ball, it's very difficult to sustain success. And I think program, again, Purdue's on a different level than Indiana football-wise. But Jake, when you're these programs that hover around seven-ish wins and you have the occasional miss of a bowl season, it's really important to maintain your entertainment product of being good offensively. Because if you're losing these boring games 17-13, to I just think fan bases are going to be quick to check out when you don't have the the longevity consistency of a 9-10 win program. Tom Allen has had rotation of assistant coaches and he has used the wrong criteria that's important to him to select who to keep and who to allow to walk. And that's the reason why Indiana is where Indiana is. One thing I do like about Walters and hearing a little bit more about him, extremely aggressive and versatile defensively. If that's kind of a coaching philosophy of his, I would think that would trickle over to what he wants the offense to be. Um, And I think that's really, really important to, again, maintain that aggression and just kind of high-powered air attack that Purdue has created over there. So hoping to have Ryan Walters on this week. Again, he'll be introduced today at noon, and it is a five-year deal for the Colorado product. First defensive hire since Leon Burnett in 1982 for Purdue. Leon Burnett, man. He was an offensive coach, wasn't he? I thought he was the quarterback's coach, wasn't he? Am I wrong in that? I thought he had some defensive background. Granted, didn't, be right. didn't Tiller have a little bit of defensive background? I mean, he certainly had heavy offense, but... Leon Burtonette's just the one that, you know, that's why Jeff George went there, and then when they got rid of Leon Burtonette, uh, they brought in Fred Akers, who was the only coach in college football that did not recruit Jeff George because he ran an option. <laughs> George is like, yeah, it might be time to transfer, which is where that all went down. Uh, so, again, Ryan Walters introduced later today as the Purdue head football coach. Pacers, Warriors, tonight we'll get the latest on that with Kristen Airy next. It's the 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, technically speaking, it's the 9 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. It's Kevin and Query here on 93.5-1075. The Fan joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline. He is the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. They will be taking on the Golden State Warriors tonight out at the Fieldhouse. And Chris Denary, the first question that I would have for you, do you believe that tonight you will be calling the name of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or Draymond Green in terms of on the court, whether or not they'll be playing? Well, it'll be interesting. You're right. It's second out of a back-to-back. They lost in Milwaukee last night. Uh, Clay Thompson has not played in back-to-backs this year, so he would be the one guy that I would think they might hold out. Now, you know, the game got away from them pretty early, um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I, I would probably think, I mean, just based on looking at the track record of the year, there's going to be somebody that doesn't play, but I'm not sure that they sit all three. Um, It'll just, you know, we'll know more. There's no shoot-around for Golden State. Uh, We'll know something maybe later this afternoon. But there were some indications last night that they would play, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it almost seemed like the blowout last night, for fans that want to watch Steph Curry, uh, that was probably a good thing for tonight, Chris. I'd almost rank them in the order of most likely to least likely, Draymond, Steph, Clay Thompson. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think Clay coming back, you know, um, you know, from the injury. Even though he played last year, he played 32 games and they won a title. Um, you know, he had two major injuries in back-to-back years, so they've really tried to manage that. So I would agree with you. I think the 
you know, just based on what I've watched this year and how they've done that, I, I would think the least likely to play would be Clay Thompson in the second out of a back-to-back. They're they're on a long road trip um, uh, that started last night. They're in Philadelphia Friday, Toronto Sunday, and then they have a back-to-back next week uh, in New York against the Knicks in Brooklyn. So. Uh, like the Pacers faced, uh, you know, over a week ago with that seven-game road trip, uh, this is a, a six-gamer for Golden State right now. And again, we're going to move on, but I know this is honestly it's a big night for a lot of fans around the area. Curious about if Steph's going to play. You said we usually get official word on that late this afternoon because there's no morning shooter out. I'm trying to get people a better idea of like what time we might get official word on that. Well, um, Steve Kerr will meet with the media at 5.30. So, so it'll uh, be that late? Yeah, I mean, I don't expect to see anything like we saw with Brooklyn on Saturday when I think that I think we pretty much knew around noon uh, that none of those guys were going to play. And then, you know, they end up winning the game. Um, so I've looked at it uh, throughout the year this year. I, I think the league has as much parity. I think it has as much balance as we've seen, even though you've seen teams like Boston and Milwaukee you know, have really good records in the East. There, there's a lot of young talent. A lot of these younger teams uh, can contend every night. So we'll just have to wait and see. Chris Denary is our guest. He's the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Let's talk about... The team of which that you have been calling their games, Chris, in the Pacers, kind of been ebb and flows, right? I think we expected this. Are we starting to see now a little bit more of a realistic representation of the youth than what we saw in the beginning of the year? And by that, I mean, you just kind of don't know from one night to the next, you know, where it's going to come from. Does that make sense? Yeah, you've had some guys that are definitely up and down. I mean, I think, you know, Tyrese Halliburton has been super consistent all year long. And then, you know, Saturday night he goes for 35 and uh, goes 12 of 15 from the field and 7 of 8 from 3. And then a game on Monday that I don't think anybody saw where he didn't have a field goal and, and scored one point on a technical free throw. So he's been very, very consistent. There have been a lot of the other young guys that will go – you know, three or four games really well with double figures and a, a good rebound effort, and then maybe go three uh, where they don't play so well. Um, I, I thought the game on Monday night was one of those typical Heat Pacers games. It really doesn't matter who's in the uniforms. They tend to play like that. And I thought down the stretch it was the Miami veterans, um, to your point, Jake, that sort of took over. Kyle Lowry hit a big shot, and then Jimmy Butler went on a 7 nothing run uh, to sort of put the game away for Miami. And I just thought that their veterans um, who had been there, done that, played in Eastern Conference Finals, uh, played in, in, in big situations, they were the ones that made the plays, and the younger Pacers weren't able to do that. Again, Kristen Aries with us, the TV voice from Bally Sports. Going back to Monday night, obviously with how Miami guarded Tyrese Halliburton, you know, the ability to switch Bam Adebayo on him is such a luxury that Miami has. How have you seen Halliburton, you know, been maybe guarded here in recent games? It seems like a ton of length that teams are putting on him, kind of realizing that he is the head of the snake. And if we're able to neutralize him at all, that can really put a stranglehold on Indiana's offense. Yeah, there's no question. I, I go back to the Minnesota game uh, a week ago. They had Jaden McDaniels, who's 6'10", um, you know, guarding Tyrese. Now, remember, Tyrese, you know, has got good size. He's 6'5 or 6'6 as a point guard. So, um, 
teams have have tended to put a bigger player on them, and it all is can be predicated with what their roster looks like, and you know how they're going to defend other players um, on the floor. Miles Turner, you know, are you going to put Bam Adebayo out there? And and they do. Miami does because they do a lot of switching. They'll they'll switch one through five, and Adebayo is that rare player at the five position that can really guard one through five. So uh, you have seen a lot of teams, uh, you know, put a lot of size on Halliburton. And, and to, to the most part, it's, it's not been as effective maybe as they would hope because Tyrese is averaging 20 points and almost 11 assists per game. But give Miami a lot of credit. And it was an off night for Tyrese. I mean, he could not get his three-point shot going and, and struggled getting the ball to the basket. But that's a very rare occasion. I mean, I think I can count on one hand, um, you know, the, the games that he has not played well this year, and the Pacers have played 28 of them. So, uh, you know, I think for the better part of 25 games, he, he's been really, really outstanding. Chris, you know that one of my favorite guys in terms of his potential is Isaiah Jackson, but I feel like he's been given plenty of opportunity. He hasn't played poorly. I'm not saying that. But I kind of expected to see a little bit more out of him in terms of development or next step so far this season than what I've seen, which has been fine, but just not necessarily a huge step just yet. Am I being too harsh? Well, I think, you know, when you're 20 years old and you're in your second year, I mean, you're going to take some steps forward and some steps backwards. He did not play um, on Monday, and, and part of that was, you know, Miami starts two smaller forwards in Jimmy Butler and, um, and, and, and Martin. So it was real hard, um, you know, for Jalen Smith not to start. And then with Jalen Smith coming off the bench, he got the majority of the backup post minutes uh, behind Miles Turner. But if you go back over a week ago in the win at, at San Francisco against Golden State, Jackson was outstanding. He had 13 points. He had 6 of 10 from the field. He and Nemhard really played well. They had that alley-oop working well. So it's just it's one of those situations I think we all knew at the start of the year. As you develop these young players, the core of your franchise moving forward, you are going to have some highs and you are going to have some lows. And um, that's to be expected. Um, he's a guy that I think you know will continue to get minutes um, you know, based on matchups, but he's going to continue to get minutes. And I, I expect a guy like him to bounce back. Kristen Aries with us, TV voice on Bally of the Indiana Pacers. Again, tonight, it's a 7 o'clock tip between the Pacers and the Warriors. I thought Rick Carlisle had an interesting comment yesterday, Chris, about Andrew Nemhard. I thought it was a great question of, you know, the last time you've trusted a rookie this much on the defensive end of the floor. Um, and he brought up a name that, you know, obviously isn't really thought of in high regard here in Indiana. Uh, but he brought up Tayshawn Prince. And you look at the assignments that Andrew Nemhard has drawn over the last couple of weeks. I mean, it was Jimmy Butler on Monday. Um, for long stretches, it was Steph Curry last week or Damian Lillard or even LeBron. It's, you know, basically whoever is the other team's best player. Not necessarily like body type, size, speed. They just trust Nemhard that much. And I think that's such an important piece the Pacers have lacked of a guy that they really trust to be kind of the lead defender in recent years, if Nemhard can become that for the Pacers, I think that is vital for a team that has definitely struggled over the years on that end of the floor. 
Yeah, there's no question. And I, I think one of the other guys, too, is Neesmith. I think Aaron Neesmith is a good defender. He's athletic. And it, it, gives some, it gives the Pacers some wing assets out there to defend on the ball. And, you know, you'll hear coaches talk about as much as it's team defense, it really starts with you guarding your yard or guarding your man. And a lot of times that's unfortunately where the Pacers have breakdowns is not taking care of your assignment out on the perimeter. And that puts a lot of pressure at the rim on Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. So, yes, to have guys like Nemhard who has accepted that role, he's, he's sneaky defensively. Um, you know, he's good for at least a charge, maybe two charges per game. He's, he seems to always be in the right position, whether he's guarding off the ball or on the ball. So, absolutely, he, um, I think a lot of people knew he was a good player coming out of Gonzaga. I'm not sure anybody thought that he would make the contributions this early, but he's been really, really good for the Pacers here uh, through the first third of the season. Could Aaron Neesmith develop into, Chris, an elite enough defensive player that he becomes a permanent rotation guy in the future despite if he does not take big steps offensively? Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at him, I just made this note. In his last three games, he's 7 of 11 from 3, and, and he has shot the ball with great confidence uh, over the last week. And his three-point shooting's up to 37% on the year. He's averaging about eight points per game. So, you know, I, I don't know if he's a guy that is a you know 12 to 15-point scorer, but to your point, uh, Jake, if you can be a solid defender, if you can, uh, you know, contribute – off the bench or, or even in a starting role and, and contribute somewhere around 10 points per game, but you are a lockdown defender, then there's absolutely uh, a role for you in the rotation uh, with this Pacers team. Okay, Chris Tenari with us here. It'll be him, Quinn, and JJ. Coverage begins at 6.30, tip at 7 o'clock tonight for the Pacers. Can you fill us in a little bit on the latest with Chris Duarte? It looks like a G League assignment for him. Yeah, I think that that was the good news the other day that Rick talked about on Monday. He practiced with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, and that's that's really one of the advantages with the Mad Ants housed um, in the uh, Pacers uh, practice facility, and then you know playing some games in Indianapolis, and then you know some games in Fort Wayne. But he will play two games uh, this week uh, against Wisconsin uh, tonight and Friday, um, and they'll assess that. But it's to get him some game action. Guys, Friday or make it Sunday against the Knicks will end a stretch of 19 games in 33 days. The Pacers will have not had multiple days off between games for over a month, and multiple times they've played back-to-back games. And what does that tell you? They haven't had a lot of practice time, and and so those are the things that Chris Duarte needs is legitimate practice time where guys are really going up and down. But as Rick Carlisle said on Monday, we can't stimulate game conditions either. So that's why tonight and Friday are very important for Torte to get back into a game situation. And then maybe he would be available on Sunday afternoon when the Knicks are at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Chris, there are four teams left in men's college basketball, if I'm not mistaken, this season that are still undefeated. Uh, do you think Quinn Buckner could name all four? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I remember a few years ago when uh, Andrew Nemhard and Gonzaga were getting very, very close and playing in the national championship game at uh, 
Lucas Oil Stadium. That was only one. Uh, but he's got that team up in West Lafayette uh, that's uh, unbeaten. Um, he he probably knows. There's no question. He probably knows. And for those that are curious why I'd ask, Quinn Buckner, of course, on the 76 Indiana team that was the last unbeaten in college basketball history at 32-0. and Purdue, UNLV, Mississippi State, and New Mexico are the four. I believe that's the last four. Virginia, right? Uh, Virginia lost, didn't they? Is Virginia unbeaten? I thought they were still undefeated. If okay, it gets ugly tonight one way or the other, Chris, you got to put his feet to the fire and test him on that one. Uh, Virginia, you're right. Undefeated. Virginia's 8-0, no, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you got to yeah. test him, Chris. But Purdue, listen, uh, Purdue, who's going to be in your building on Saturday playing, they're not going to go undefeated, but they're pretty darn good. Oh, they're good. I mean, you look at the two freshman guards. I mean, and I'm very proud. Uh, I mean, as a Westfield High School alum, I said this um, a few years ago. I- I'll say this. You know, having been the marketing director at Butler starting in 1989 and to sit in Lucas Oil Stadium and watch Butler play for the national championship game sort of blew my mind, right? I would say last year, having, you know, gone to high school in Westfield, to know that there's a Mr. Basketball (laughs) from Westfield High School, uh, sort of a mind blower. But uh, Braden Smith's been outstanding. I mean, Matt Painter and his staff, they do such a great job up in West Lafayette. It's it's been fun to watch them. I mean, think about what they accomplished last year. Uh, they had a, uh, a top five pick in the NBA draft in, in Jaden Ivey, and they have not missed a beat this year. Yeah, extremely impressive to get back to number one. Um, all right, Chris, I know a lot of people will be watching tonight. Certainly plugged in a little bit later to get the latest on Golden State's availability for this one. Pacers-Warriors tonight at 7 before they're off to Cleveland. The Pacers will take on the Cavs at 7.30 on Friday. Always appreciate it, Chris. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great morning. That's Chris Denary, my former basketball coach back in the day. Uh, great coach. Great temperament on the sidelines. Always enjoy playing for Chris. Was, he, was Chris one of those that was screaming at you as fourth graders? Come on! You know, unless the Connecticut water wasn't filled up right. to, the, uh, to the brim on the sidelines, uh, everything was good with him. Yeah, so Virginia's the fifth. So Virginia at 8-0, Mississippi State, UNLV. Um, UNLV is coached by, I think, Lon Kruger's son, right? Isn't that right? Really? I think that's right. But they've kind of had a resurgence. I, Vegas was, man, when, when Tark was there, Vegas was just different level, man. And, and you know, I, I've mentioned before, as an Indiana fan, uh, oh, UConn is the other one. Man, how am I missing something? Oh, yeah, we might have uh, Thad Mata on, by the way, Thursday or Friday. Butler opens up Big East play with UConn. So on Butler can, can give UConn their first loss. The, ESPN.com has the teams listed based on their conference records. So, like some of them, like UConn's has not yet played in the Big East, so they're not leading in their conference. And it's like, wait a minute, they're 11 and 0, but they're not listed as the top of the Big East. Um, UNLV, though, when Jerry Tarkanian was coaching UNLV, I had like this this Bob Knight brainwashed moral opposition to UNLV because I'm like those guys are just there to play basketball they're not going to class university of no learning value and <laughs> and as I've gotten older and of course one of the things that stunned me was to learn that Knight and Tarkanian were actually very good friends and, and then you know I realized that what Tarkanian was doing was was taking some players not all obviously but taking some players that that may not have otherwise had an opportunity to 
to get an education and to go to school and to find structure and to get on the right path in life. And basketball was the vehicle to be able to do them. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool, man. There's a place for that for certain. And he had some unbelievable teams. The 87 team, I think, might have even been be- Well, I don't know about that. That 90-91 run they had was amazing. And the 91 Final Four UNLV team practiced at North Central, which is one of the coolest things of my high school years because we were walking out of school and Tarkanian let us come in and watch them practice. And that was pretty awesome because they were undefeated. They were number one, and then they were upset by Duke. Um, but it was pretty cool, man. If you look at Purdue's schedule, and I remember saying this when they got back from Portland, I don't necessarily see like an obvious hiccup. Again, Davidson Saturday night. It's not the Davidson I, I think we're used to. They don't have a great, great uh, resume this year, 7-3 and three on the season. Uh, home games with New Orleans and Florida A&M. And then they'll start Big Ten play with Rutgers at home. They are at Ohio State on January 5th. After that, they've got Penn State and Nebraska at home. So, I mean, at Ohio State on January 5th is probably the one that you point to. But if they can just hold serve on their home floor and inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse on Saturday, I mean, they could get to mid-January and still be undefeated. By no means do I think like Purdue is going to run the table, but... Basically, their Big Ten schedule is very backloaded. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just it's wildly impressive that one would think that they will again. stay number one longer than a week this time, right? Yeah, it didn't happen on the same day last year. They lost to Ron Harper and Rutgers. Yeah, remember that was the, and it turns out it was like a guy that I think is kind of like a barstool, almost actor or whatever. Remember the video of the kid running on the floor. Uh, the the vaguely it was like Rutgers a chubby, kid a chubby kid and he had on like Oakley blade rainbowed sunglasses and ran on the field and was like oh my god going crazy and then you find out it it, it actually was not like a the diehard Rutgers fan it was like a guy for oh know. yeah they do like the storm chasers where basically they just find games of correct court storms correct but it was still kind of fun you see the number for T Y Hilton in Dallas what jersey number. Michael Gallup wears 13, so he cannot uh, wear Mike Vanderjet wore 13 in Dallas, didn't he? Typical 13. Mike Vanderjet, by the way, when he got uh, when he signed with Dallas, had a pool and put a, had a star, the Cowboys star, put in the bottom of it, and then got hurt and was released. I was going to say, I don't later. feel like that lasted too long. <laughs> yeah, it did not. Uh, I'll go with for T.Y. Hilton that he is going to wear uh, jersey number 10. I feel like this doesn't have a lot of great wide receiver history with this 15. number. 16. Okay. I think a 16, I think of like, that's the backup quarterback. Trevor Lawrence or Peyton Manning's jersey number. Trevor school, Lawrence, right? AFC Offensive Player of the Week. So you think the Jags can challenge Tennessee? I, I mean, the Jags, I agree with what Steven said. They do have good young talent. Two-game lead right now. For Tennessee the with Jags four and to Lions go. will both be like sexy picks next year at the beginning of the season. This is the year they really take a big step forward. They do play each other again this season, Tennessee and Jacksonville, so that could get a game closer. Obviously, Jacksonville just won last week, but uh, they both still play Dallas. Um, so Tennessee would still have to slip up a couple of times for that to be a race down the stretch. All right, uh, we're going to get uh, is it Scott Ritchie. Is that right, Mark? Correct. Scott Ritchie is going to join us to close out the show, covers the um, 
Fighting Illini for the News Gazette. So we'll get a little bit more on the Ryan Walters front with him. Pop quiz coming up in a few minutes. Again, Ball State, Georgia Southern tickets. That is a week from tonight at Worthen Arena. A pair of tickets were given away to see Michael Lewis in his bunch. And also. a reminder, Kevin, Ball State going to be at the Fieldhouse 330 on Saturday against Illinois State. Correct. Part of that Indy Classic doubleheader. And again, we're hoping to have Thad Mata on either tomorrow or Friday to talk about Butler's big game with UConn at Hinkle. Coming up this Saturday. Uh, for now, though, morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, the Bucks beat the Warriors by 17 last night in Milwaukee. You say to yourself, Jake, that's great. There's a radio station in Indianapolis. Why do I care about the Bucks and Warriors? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Warriors now come to Indianapolis, but Steph Curry. Clay Thompson, Draymond Green did not play in the fourth quarter last night. We shall see what that means in terms of their availability tonight for the Warriors and the Bucks. 7 o'clock tip at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Pacers slight underdog there. We'll see if Vegas, if that's an indicator, they believe that some of those big three will sit out. Um, I don't know if anyone cares about the Colts injury report anymore, but might as well throw it in there. The Colts bump everything up a day this week with a Saturday afternoon game against a 1 o'clock kick NFL Network, Fox 59. Noah Eagle and Nate Burleson on the call for that one. Uh, Kenny Moore still did not practice yesterday. Uh, again, he's been dealing with an ankle issue for a couple weeks now. Uh, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the practice schedule for the Colts this week. The, a matchup to watch, certainly on Saturday. Justin Jefferson, Stephon Gilmore. We'll see how much Gilmore Follows Justin Jefferson around. Pretty darn good, man. Jake Jefferson is 465 yards away from breaking Calvin Johnson's single-season record. Uh, four games to go. Of course, you do play an extra game, but uh, he is one of the best players in the league. Bar yeah, he's... This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> Hopefully, we're here saying that a couple oh, times. Can we play that one more time just because it's so good? This one for Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> I'm going to shout out to Alec Pierce, Mark, for a nice game yeah, Sunday night against Alec the Pierce Cowboys. You want Alec Pierce? Yeah, sure. Sure, okay. Thought he bounced back. Poor, poor Alec Pierce. <laughs> yeah, poor in October. Or maybe it was November for Pierce, but... He knows his name by now, right? Had a nice outing. I don't know. <laughs> against the uh, against the Cowboys. How about this note on Jefferson? Jefferson's got 1,500 receiving yards in the year. He's accounted for 43% of the Vikings' total receiving yards. It's the highest percentage the NFL has seen in a decade. You know, that's that's actually probably as good a performance statistically for a Jefferson in football since Charles had 17 tackles and four sacks when Ridgemont defeated Lincoln 33-0 back in 82. You know, uh, the, the Vikings may have Justin Jefferson. We know what the Colts have. We have Matt Ryan. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> you really showed them. Boom. No wonder Even. the spread's only four. Is the spread still at four? Is it? I don't know. Did it drop? I thought it was four and a half to open. Four and a half to open. Last I saw was four. Mark, I'm digging your Paps Blue Ribbon t-shirt. Thank you. I thought it was a Bears t-shirt got, when I walked got in. for me. Santa. <laughs> yes, Milwaukee right. Santa brought that back. Milwaukee Santa. Speaking of Santa, pop quiz coming up next. Pair of tickets, Ball State, Georgia Southern, week from tonight at Worthen Arena. Give us a call, 317-239-1070. You st- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Adid, can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, time for the pop quiz. 317-239-1070. A pair of tickets to go see the Ball State Cardinals versus Georgia Southern. The Fighting Conrad Brunners coming up a week from tonight at Worthen Arena. Again, Michael Lewis got some nice Indiana flavor with high school products from the state on that roster. This has got some variety to the pop quiz here, Scotty. A lot of variety here. To the pop quiz. Uh, Jake, number one through eight. Uh, you know, my favorite number, Jay Edwards, number three. Numero Trace, how many goals Argentina scored yesterday as they move on to the World Cup final? Is who, Mark? Joel. 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 Last I heard, the score was 3-1. Three, three, so. Joel, um, is your radio down? Is your radio down? No. no. Uh, can you hear me? Uh, sorry. <laughs> We got you now. First time doing this, Joel. Joel, wasn't the final score? I thought it was Trace Nil. Oh. <laughs> Did Croatia score? Did I miss a goal? I, Three I nil that. here. Is Joel in Croatia? <laughs> he might be in Qatar. Joel, how are you doing on this Wednesday morning? Uh, doing, doing all right. Are you a fan of soccer? Do you have rooting interest here in France, Morocco later today? Not a terrible amount, no. Uh, enjoy when the World Cup happens, uh, but outside of that, I'm usually not watching it. Well, you. Do you normally wake up around 10? I do. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I've got two two-year-olds. I mean, I've got kids jumping on my bed at 5.30 in the morning. All right, fair enough. Now, you and Mark and... and Coach McKellaball seemed to have that in common. Uh, Joel, have you called the program before? No, it's the first time. Well, we appreciate it. Can That's we play rare, Get to Know rare. Your Listener real quick? What's that? Can we play Get to Know Your Listener real quick? Sure. Uh, how old a fellow are you, Joel? I'm 42. 42-year-old Joel, okay. And that would mean that you graduated from high school somewhere, uh, quick math tells me, like around, what, 98, somewhere in there? 99. 99, okay. And that was from what school? Uh, West Richland High School in Noble, Illinois. Noble, Illinois, okay. Um, Joel, you said you have two-year-olds. Was that plural? You got twins? Uh, we adopted and then found out we were expecting. That's cool. That, that, happened, awesome. that seems to happen a lot, by the way. That's so cool. We got two boys seven months apart. Now, is it true that any job in your hometown is listed as a noble profession? No, no. We're circling the toilet, man. <laughs> in my opinion, that sucked. So okay. I assume the boys will be in the same grade? Uh, it, we'll see what happens, um, but there's a good possibility. I, I think one's born at the end of December and another one's born in the middle of July, so it just kind of depends on how uh, the school Got it. looks at that. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome you guys did that. That's a, that's really, really cool. Kudos to you guys. That is. Yeah. All right, Joel, you ready for question number one? Sure. Pacers and Warriors tonight at the Fieldhouse. Which of the two has the better record this season? Uh, Warriors. It's kind of a trick question. 
Pacers are 14 and 14. I feel like the Warriors are kind of hovering around 500 too. Yeah. yeah. Trick question. I would have thought it would have been the Warriors, but I haven't really been uh, paying too much attention. Okay, it, Warriors, Pacers, or they both have the same record? Same record, yeah. Okay. All right, today marks the seven. I mean, guys, yeah. Two-year-olds jumping on him three hours ago. Give him benefit of the doubt. Takes him a while to get his engines revving. Uh, Today marks the 75th anniversary of the founding of which sports organization? Boy, this is a nice layup here for number two, Scotty. Uh, NASCAR, NBA, LPGA, or the Pro Bowlers Association? I assume that's actual bowling and not like the game they used to play in Hawaii. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with the NBA. I mean, how are we supposed to know that, Scotty? Well, like I said, it takes Joel a while to get his engines revving, right? (laughs) Right? All right, question number three. Argentina advanced to the World Cup final for the sixth time thanks to their win over Croatia yesterday. That wasn't bad by you. Thank you. Which country has played in the most World Cup finals? Is it Argentina, Brazil, Italy, or Germany? I'm going to go with the lead-in. I would not have gotten this, by the way. You know what? I, I feel like I would have said Brazil. Pink Floyd was huge in this country, especially when their album The Wall came out. Uh, let's see. Brazil, Italy, and Germany. Argentina and, and Germany. So let's go with Germany. Okay. All right, number four, Joel. On this day, uh, 1980, the New Orleans Aints snapped their 14-game losing streak, allowing their fans to take the grocery bags off their heads. Who did the Saints defeat to get their only win of the 1980 season and halt their long skid? The Baltimore Colts, the New York Jets, the Atlanta Falcons, or the St. Louis Cardinals? I don't even know where I was born. Um, Let's go with the Colts. You were born in 80? Yeah, I was born in 80. Yeah. Okay. All right, last question for you. Alex Ovechkin last night recorded his 29th career hat trick. In the process, he scored his 800th career goal, reaching 20 goals for the 18th consecutive season. 18 straight 20-goal seasons is the third longest streak in NHL history. This is really convoluted. Gordie Howe has the longest streak with 22 seasons. Which guy whose initials are also the same for when somebody tells you a fib is second? Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Brendan Shanahan, or Yarimir Yager? Brendan Shanahan. Okay. Joel, you a Ball State fan? Yeah. You excited to go to the game week from tonight? I hope that my wife gives me the night off. Well... (laughs) You deserve it after this effort on this pop quiz here. Uh, Pacers host the Warriors tonight. The better record. It was a trick question. Both 14 and 14. Uh, Question number two. It was, and this is why I said it takes him a while to rev his engines in the morning. NASCAR, 75 years ago today, was the correct answer. Stay on the line, Joel. The Jets, Brendan Shanahan, to round out the pop quiz. To round us out next, we'll talk a little... Get a little information about who Purdue just hired as their head coach or the guy that's covered him over the last few years. That conversation next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Again, Ryan Walters, new Purdue head football coach, will be introduced to the media in about two hours up in West Lafayette. It's a five-year deal 
for the 36-year-old head coach, again, the fourth youngest in college football. He leaves an Illinois defense that, frankly, just a remarkable turnaround in what he did there in his two seasons. To learn more about Ryan Walters, we'll go to someone that covers Illinois athletics for the News Gazette. It is Scott Ritchie on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Scott, good morning. Morning. Uh, Ryan Walters, the loss there, uh, what he did with Illinois, uh, the reaction in general, I guess, from fighting, fighting Illini fans. I mean, just based on everything I saw and heard, just, I mean, it feels like the Illinois fans are handling it pretty well, and I think that's mostly because everyone, and myself included, you know, saw this day coming. Now, did anyone think it might be Purdue? Um, maybe not, but you know, Ryan Walters is going to be a head coach sooner rather than later. And, uh, I mean, certainly... You know, earn that opportunity after you know what he was able to do with what was not a very good defense that he inherited. Did they get very deep at all with Colorado on that front? My co-host Jake was asking me that earlier. Obviously, Deion Sanders, quite the splash there. But the alma mater of Colorado, um, did things get very far along with Ryan Walters there at all? So, I guess, you know, end of November, early December, you know, Brett Bielma, you know, Gave Ryan Walter some time to go interview for, you know, multiple jobs. As it sounds like, uh, I don't know that you know, Colorado got very far, you know, down that process. You know, before obviously going with the uh, the splash guy with you know, Deion Sanders. But I mean, that was as soon as they made their end season change. It was like, okay, well, there's you know a potential landing spot you know, for Ryan Walter to get his first head coaching job. But. Um, to be honest, he probably got the better job of the two um, at Purdue. I mean, you know, the Pac-12 is sort of a mess, um, at least the outside of you know, the top teams. And one of those, two of those are headed to the Big Ten anyway. So I think uh, even if there was some nostalgia factor with Colorado, since he, he played there, I, I don't know that he, he didn't make the better professional move and you know, focus his attention elsewhere. Scott, it's probably difficult for any of us to know if unless we're like in practice all the time in the locker room but you get a pretty good idea I mean you cover the Illini you're around it a lot when you look at at him in Ryan Walters you know is this a guy that's like the the in your face jump up and down high spirited guy is it more of the Tony Dungy quiet grace kind of leader what kind of coach can Purdue fans expect I think he has you know, the ability to be a little bit of both. And, you know, when he's you know, meeting, you know, with us or the media types, like he's, you know, he's pretty you know, laid back and, you know, it offers, you know, really good insight into kind of you know, what he, you know, was trying to do defensively. And then, you know, talking with the players, you know, like he would get on them, you know, when it was necessary. So I think, you know, he's maybe got the uh, perfect balance, but, um, I think the, the biggest thing, um, just from maybe a player standpoint, was like a lot of his defensive players were Lovey Smith recruits that Illinois was not able to develop very well in the Lovey Smith era. But he took and turned into, I mean, a guy like Kirby Joseph. Lovey Smith had moved him to wide receiver, you know, not long before he, you know, lost the Illinois job. And Illinois, you know, Ryan Walter that deal and moved him back to safety and he turned into a third round draft pick. So I, I just think, you know, he 
instilled this belief in his players. And, like, they felt that from him. And I think that maybe you know, more than anything, it was a real push behind me you know, how much that defense improved. Yeah, it's wildly impressive, the defensive jumps they've taken. Again, Scott Ritchie joining us here, covers Illinois Athletics for the News Gazette. Um, you look, I guess, a little bit deeper into the defensive side of the ball and what he did for Brett Bielam over there. It seems like it was in a very aggressive unit and a unit that really kind of dictated week to week, not necessarily like, hey, we run the 4-3 every week and we do what we do better than anybody else. It seemed like a pretty open-minded to some versatility throughout the season. Uh, how would you describe kind of Walters' approach to that side of the ball? Yeah, it's, it's really multiple. I mean, I mean, I know that where it gets turned around more with offenses than defenses, but you know, he was willing to you know adjust his defense you know, personnel-wise. You know, the, the idea behind it was all the same, but personnel-wise was able to adjust to the team um, that they were playing. You know, if it was a Wisconsin or an Iowa, they got a little bigger up front. They didn't have you know run five defensive backs all the time. That was maybe the main look. It was five DBs. Um, but they could they could shift as necessary, and and that was just such a change at Illinois from the Levy Smith era, where it was you know going to run f four three cover two, and didn't matter what the other team was doing, uh, it didn't matter if the players couldn't handle it. Like Levy wasn't going to change his defense for anybody, but Ryan Walters was adaptable um, and you know, adjusted. Over, you know, especially year one, to the players that he had a little bit. And, you know, as they got more comfortable, I think he was able to maybe turn it into what he, you know, envisioned in his mind. And obviously, you know, this year couldn't have been much better. Scott, before we let you go, I want to sneak in a basketball question. I think the world of Brad Underwood personally, I think he can coach uh, Illinois at seven and three. A lot of expectation for him. I realize they've had some roster rotation, but were you surprised? at the way that they were handled by Penn State, who beat them by 15? Or did that maybe tell us more about us underselling Penn State as opposed to thinking that we oversold Illinois? I don't think it can't be both, but probably it was people maybe not thinking Penn State's as good as they are, and those people including the Illinois players. Because Brad Underwood said after the game and um, during his Post-game press conference that you know, there's one player he didn't say who in locker room that was like, man, we just lost to Penn State. Like, as like your super negative connotation. Well, I mean, Penn State does two things really well, and it's post up Jalen Pickett on guards and shoot threes, and only let them do both of those things, and just gave them confidence. And uh, it's a, it's a, I'm not, it's not a great Penn State team, I don't think, but it's it's a good enough Penn State team to, to do that to you if you let them operate how they want. Um, but it was just that classic letdown for Illinois, you know, huge coming off a huge high, you know, beating Texas at Madison Square Garden, number two team in the country, and then just maybe thinking they could roll over, you know, Penn State at home and they learned that they couldn't. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. Um, not, you know, super tough game, you know, this weekend against Alabama A and M, but bragging rights next week against Missouri and that game is just always a little extra. Scott, appreciate the insight on Ryan Walters. I know it's a busy time for you uh, covering Illinois in their bowl game and coming up with the basketball program, of course, with Big Ten play now underway. So thank you and uh, happy holidays. Yep, thanks, guys. Scott Ritchie right there on the Payless Slickers 
hotline. I thought it was a good point Jake and made about you know Lovey Smith recruits. The player development clearly occurred under Ryan Walters, and you know if you were hiring the defensive coordinator at Georgia, Jake. Your talent level might look a little different in West right. Lafayette. Like it's a similar recruiting landscape going from Illinois to Purdue. Um, I think that's important for what it's worth. If you look at how Illinois has recruited under Ryan Walters, there is kind of a blueprint, or I should say, more of a footprint in the state of Florida. Um, so we'll see if that's an area that Purdue can tap into. By the way, speaking of coaches, um, you know, football coaches, we talked yesterday around this time. By the way, on the passing of Mike Leach, uh, I just noticed this. I thought it was cool. I I wanted to share it. Uh, this is from Andrew Bearstein on Twitter, who is a writer. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure. Now he is, it looks like he is in television. Um, KTVB, I think that's in Idaho. But he said, my sophomore year at Washington State, I created a blog to cover Washington State football. It was just me and a guy named Jack Ellis going to practices, taking pictures, trying to sneak in media scrums and do whatever we could to try to get some interviews with coaches or players. Oh, this one was day, awesome. One day, Mike show. Leach pulled me aside. He wanted to know who I was, what my deal was, why I was doing this, etc. He said, if you want to be successful, sports writers are kind of like drug dealers. There's so many of them out there, you got to get them hooked on your stuff. He then proceeded to give us media credentials for the entire season. He took it a step further and promoted our website for absolutely no reason other than to be a nice guy. Was the tagline, no fluff, just facts, the corniest thing ever? Absolutely. But he ran with it and came up with it. I think he might have thought it was funny. And as a result of that, we got some serious traction, even managed to sell some ads and get our careers underway. That's great. Awesome, isn't it? So are we drug dealers too, in a way? (laughs) (laughs) Educate and entertain is injected into the veins, man. We're peddling cold, bitter coffee. says, years later, that experience translated into my job. Um though I'm a news guy and Jack's gig is a photographer with the Seattle Mariners, all because Mike Leach gave us a chance to cover his team and the university allowed that to grow into more opportunities. Uh, thanks for everything, Coach. You gave me a platform to chase my dreams and a lifetime of memories back in Martin Stadium. That's that's a cool story. Man. Really cool. How about Greg Rakestraw mentioning yesterday that Mike Leach interviewed for the opening at UIndy? Yeah, that's. can you imagine? He'd he was been... the uh, OC at Valdosta State under Hal Mummy. Interviewed for the opening at UND, did not get it, of course. Uh, then that staff moved on to Kentucky, where Leach was the OC under Hal Mummy. Then he was at Oklahoma, I think, for a year. I think he was at Kentucky for a couple of years, Oklahoma for a year, and then Texas Tech after that. And, of course, that led into Washington State and Mississippi State. It's, it's obviously extremely sad that it took such an event for it to happen. But, Jake, the outcry for Mike Leach stories like that yesterday on yeah. social media was one of the few, I think, beauties of social media. Left frankly. his footprint on college football, no doubt, with that offense and the way that they move the ball around. No and problem. off the field, you know, and that story that you just shared. I'm uh, hoping to have that motto to close out the week. Maybe Ryan Walters as well. We'll keep you posted on Pacers Warriors tonight. Everybody have a great one. We'll talk to you tomorrow.